welcome to Season 3, Episode 3, Inside the Heliosphere. I think this is the first, uh, the first perhaps of many professors I have uh, as, as my intrepid space slash music slash life guests on, on Heliosphere. Professor John Watson, good pal of mine. Um, I suppose we started life as colleagues, but we seem to have been friends for ages, certainly more than 10 years, probably more like 12 or 13 years. Um, it's, it's, uh, yeah, John was, um, John was the first victim of my, uh, my infamous technological limitations when, uh, when about two hours of his first interview. So interview mark one, that was four years ago now I'm saying. So probably back in about, 2017 or something as I record this uh, when he, uh, to be fair it was his dog but my Zoom my recorder I shouldn't say the name of it but my recorder through no fault of the company that made it um, was getting a bit glitchy and his dog bumped the recorder and deleted two hours of interview so this was our second go and I, as I said to John I think it was there was something about this interview it just really flowed it just I just remember getting through it it wasn't too short too long um, he's an eloquent man that helped, uh, helps me when I don't have to, uh, when I have to, when I don't have to marshal my, my tendency towards, uh, wormholes or rabbit holes, diving, diving therein. And, uh, the guest kind of wraps up these nice, uh, quanta of, of, uh, information for me and for us. Um, proggy proggy sort of theme to our conversation as in progressive rock john's a big fan of prog um lots of laughter and uh and uh, yeah as i say i remember this as being just a like all of them really you know just the joy gets me out of my head which is always a good thing and uh if i can you know for posterity record some some stories and some uh some comments for the loved ones of of my interviewees then then brilliant yeah so uh enjoy this one with john and thanks mate appreciate our uh appreciate our conversations so prime minister <laughs> <laughs> i like more the uh i'm gonna try and make you cry i'm trying like more the andrew denton approach you know like just uh <laughs> If people walk out of here without weeping, then then I failed in my. Then you failed. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to it already. Uh, I, I didn't. Um, I forgot to ask, ask as well. Um, we we spoke about off limit stuff, and you said, "Yep, no, all good." Uh, in terms of your surname and all that, are you happy enough to? Yep. <clears throat> okay, so hi, hi, John Watson. <laughs> hi, Chris Mobs. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Uh, so John and I have just been chatting. As we always do, we've just been having a really nice conversation, exactly. <laughs> none of which has been recorded. We should have recorded. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, and and, and uh, I have to explain that this is uh, round two for us. Mm. And uh, I choose to look at the positive, which is that I think, I hope as, a, as an interviewer, I've, I've got better. Um, and also, it, I'm, not, I'm careful in my words, it's not a positive, but an awful lot has happened in your life since we... True. So it was obviously meant to be. Good it Lord. It was meant to be. Um, nice. Was it like, it must be two... A couple of years ago, couple I years ago, right? Yeah. Good Lord. All right, we'll get to all that. So welcome, John. We're Thank recording, you. by the way. I'm, Thank you. You'll understand why I check from time to time that the recording <laughs> device is definitely... 
Yes, we're good. Okay. All right. So, so, um, and I've also, I'm also wary of, of time and, and, um, I know you're a fan of prog and some of the songs of yours are going to go on for 24 minutes. So we, <laughs> that's, that's unfair. That's, I've already been rude to you. I didn't mean that. You know, I like no good songs were ever under 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, we'll, we'll cover that. We'll, 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 we'll put the original ones in and we'll listen to bits. Mm. But, um, what I thought I would do, one of the things that I, you remember, I kept stopping myself from asking questions upstairs and, and we almost touched upon it and it actually, I don't know if you remember your pro forma much, but in your pro forma, you mentioned, and I'm paraphrasing how you, at the time you wrote that anyway, which was a couple of years ago, your yeah. ambition perhaps had been, you know, your, your sense of ambition had, had been, forget your word but declining you know perhaps not not as ambitious as once you were so the question that i like to ask is how would you define the differences being ambitious and being driven uh let's start with an easy one then (laughs) (laughs) what's the meaning of life (laughs) so i think ambition comes uh changes as you go through life because your approach to life changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you're a young man, you want to rule the world, you want to do everything. You know, we were both born into a life where we had great opportunities and we've both um, been very lucky to be able to take those opportunities. Um, so I always wanted to um, to at least partly um, channel my ambition into my medical career. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to be a doctor. I'm very lucky to have been able to do it and it's been great to do it um and i wanted to be the dean of a medical school and i'm mm. again you know very lucky to have done that for yeah. six years yeah. um it wasn't something that was uh, necessarily a great career plan all the way through it was mm. more a sort of virtual um virtual desire but i love the teaching i love the research i love being able to make a difference yeah and I've really enjoyed being able to do that. So maybe partly the reduction in ambition has come because I've done what I wanted to do. And how about how that? How, what's the difference then with that? Thank you. And 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 being driven. Um, I think being driven is sometimes a bit more nebulous than ambition. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people are driven forever. You know, it's a bit like these people who make a truckload of money. Mm. Um, and you know, you or I, if we made $10 million, we'd give half of it away and put half of it in trust for our children and go and retire to Ocean Grove. Um, whereas these people double down and they invest all the 10 million because they want to make 50 million and then Mm. they want to make a hundred million and Mm. then they want to make a billion and it ceases to be about the money. And perhaps it's the same in careers, whether you're a financier or a lawyer or a doctor or whatever. Never ending. So there are some people who have this indefinable drive Mm which it's like an itch that they can't scratch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is, that, is that not you? Maybe I've got some of that mm-hmm. still. Um, I was saying to you before, I think probably I've still got one job in me. Mm. Um, I'm not just not quite sure what that is. But mm. as I've got older, I've started to focus more on the things that matter. Mm. And maybe, you know, becoming a head of school, the dean of a medical school has helped me to do that because to a certain extent you get there and you, it's actually not what you think it's like. Mm. What so is it there, like? Well, there's, um, you know, there's inevitably shades of grey and politics and battles and frustrations, which is the same. You know, if you talk to a prime minister, they probably mm-hmm. find the same. If you mm-hmm. get to uh, what you perceive in, in, a, in advance as the pinnacle of something, 
the reality is never the same mm. as as what you think it mm. is on the way up. Having said that, you can still make great change, and um, you have great opportunities to um, to plan strategies and grow and do things, and hopefully make changes for the better. So maybe in the future, that's partly what I'm focusing on. Mm. You know, I'm interested in how I can uh, how I can make change in my professional life and in my personal life. Mm. I two things about I remember now that we're talking, I remember you you alluded to focusing on the, the important things in life and I think we can all mm. imagine what that would be. That would be family, clearly, yeah. and friends and, and, the, and the, the things that really matter. And I think I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, us touching on this when we spoke in our interview a couple of years ago, how perhaps there was some slight regret about uh, the amount of time that you... Yep that you were, yep. you know, building, I suppose, your practice and, and away from family. Yep. Is, that, is that fair? Oh, definitely. So my kids were born when I was doing my PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, Helena, my wife, has been fantastic and has taken on the, the vast majority of the, um, of the time spent with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did my PhD. I finished my registrar training. We emigrated. I built my practice. Mm-hmm. Then I decided I wanted to be an academic. Mm-hmm. Then I did um, a grad cert. Then I moved the family to Newcastle because that's what I thought would be good for my career without really thinking about her. Typical bloke, really. Uh, (laughs) Then she very sensibly wanted to come back. Um, Then I went back into practice. And And to be clear, that was Newcastle in England, not not Newcastle in New South Wales. No, it was Newcastle in New South Wales. Right. Um, So it was New South Wales. And she wanted to come back to Victoria. Right. And that was the right thing to do. And she was right, as always. <laughs> and uh, and uh, just in case she ever listens to this. Uh, all, the, all the ladies listening, this is exactly how men speak to each yeah, other yeah, when ladies yeah, aren't allowed. Exactly. Um, Actually, we do. We, always we do. Yeah. Um, and, and then I went back into practice. And then this other academic opportunity arose, mm. not through planning, but yeah. just by circumstance. But again, it took me away from time with the family. Yeah. And, and Helen has been incredibly patient about that. The other thing that you... Thanks. The other... The other thing that you said was something that you, um, and as a good interviewer, I, I went back over your pro forma, um, that you always felt a slight, I can't remember the word you said, frustration or, or perhaps a sense of injustice when you were accused of being lucky. You said mm. we were both, you just, you said we're both lucky to an extent, but yep. then. Um, you do make your own luck. Right. Gary, Gary Player said about golf, uh, mm-hmm. you know, people said to him, you're really good out of bunkers. He said, yeah, the more I practice, the luckier I get. Yeah, right, right. And um, I think it's the same everywhere. You know, we have been lucky to a certain extent mm-hmm. in terms of... Well, we're you, white and middle class males yeah, for a start. The, right? the life that we've been born into. Mm-hmm. But we've also worked hard to take, hopefully make the best of our opportunities. Yep. And, um, you know, my father's generation probably the same with you my father's generation was the first generation in my family mm-hmm. who ever went to university oh, no, and, that's uh, <laughs> and I was the first person to do medicine yeah so it's not like I come from a long line of Harley Street consultants yeah. Um, yeah but yeah it's been you know we have been lucky but we've also worked hard to use it right on yeah no I was um, I'm I was uh I, I'm not um Oh, my tooting. I'm so sorry. I keep this, this tooting is a repeated thing. I'm, I'm not being um, disrespectful to my dad. Uh, he, went, he went back to the night school to become a jostle. But no, nobody in my family ever, I think, stayed yeah. at school beyond 16. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But it's not about me. So um, what I wanted to do, because 
thank you for th those uh, erudite responses. And by the way, uh, everyone's going to just enjoy this. There's this. There's this. There's this condition. I think we all have it to an extent. It's something uh, autonomic sensory meridian response or something like that. You, mm. you, is that familiar with you? Mm. Where where people have this sort of thrill of kind of. I guess almost like goosebumps when certain sounds and things. They yep. listen to, you know, Bob Ross, the, the yep. painter. Yep. And I think there may be a whole load of autonomic sensory meridian people listening to John Watson's voice going, oh, that English, that wonderful. <laughs> well, you've got an English accent. Yeah, as well. yeah it's a bit different, though, isn't it? Oh, I know. It's, it's a bit I different, though, isn't it? I don't think there's any autonomic people listening to my voice, is there, Darren? Oh, my bloody sainted aunt. No, no, no. Um, I'm enjoying your voice. Okay, but we better crack on. Uh, because even if even if we weren't on a on a ticking clock for your lunch date, we um, these things really I have discovered. I mean, I didn't want to scare you, but the mm. last couple have gone over four hours. Uh, mm. Yeah, <laughs> so, they, had a, they had a lot to talk about. They, they did. They, they really did. <laughs> um, okay, so so we're gonna we're gonna start with your first song. Do you remember which one was number one? Did you? No, I can't remember. <laughs> I'm glad you sent me the list the other day because I thought, oh, that's quite a good song list. Yeah, I did all right there. <laughs> Who chose that? Did you, did you agree with the choices you yeah. made still? When, yeah. When you, yeah, that's good to know. I mean, the, it's as I said to you at the time, it's so hard to pick. Oh. Um, you know, that you could pick 100 songs yeah. depending on yeah. how you felt. Yeah. And my, yeah, my apologies to you and to everyone that subjects themselves to this because I'm well aware how how very very difficult it is to pick just seven songs mm. seven albums seven songs okay so your number one was was the rolling stones ah oh yes you can't always get what you want yep so um uh from my favorite film actually mm -hmm. uh, the big chill and yeah, i was going to come back to that but yeah. yeah so it's the uh funeral scene towards the beginning mm -hmm. uh where their friend has died and they're all gathering together and Maybe one of the reasons it's my favourite film is that it's a film about relationships and it's also a film about loss mm -hmm. and ambition and seeing how a group of people have gone in different directions and what's happened to them. And mm -hmm. I just think it's beautifully acted and beautifully observed. Mm -hmm. And the song comes in at just the right time mm -hmm. when they're arriving at the church. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you can't always get what you want is... Is uh, well says a lot about the film, but also says a lot about all of us because we have to learn that um, ambition and drive has to be tempered with the things you can do and the things you can't do, and deciding what's important in life. What about the uh, the, the the second half to that sentence? You, you can't always get what you want, but you might find you get what you need. Yeah, right. You agree with that? Sometimes. Yeah. Well, that's the. Is the universe fair and mm. all of that? My, 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 I don't think we've really got time to touch on the whole of theology in this interview. Uh, <laughs> but we'll have a crack. Anyway. <laughs> we'll give it a go. <laughs> all right. Well, so we'll, we'll listen. We'll listen to. We'll listen to a bit of this, and uh, obviously, um, as as everybody in Iceland and Japan and everyone is listening to this interview, they'll be able to hear the whole thing.
the reception A glass of wine in her hand I knew she was gonna meet her connection At her feet was a footloose man You can't always get what you want What you want You can't always get what you want But if you try sometimes Well you might find Tell by her 
that was that felt sacrilegious to bring the religious theme back in. It was that, that was possibly the only time I've ever stopped that song before it's played out. I'm so yeah, sorry. I forgot about the choral introduction actually, yeah, which has yeah. been a great part of my life. Well, as well. yeah. Um, thank you for attempting to lead the interview to a place where it. There's been there's been times. The questions. Yeah, there's, that's right. There's been times in this uh, in this whole heliosphere thing where various people have, have attempted to and to guide the interviewer to where. <laughs> um, uh, what were you thinking about when you just then, right then? What were you thinking about as you listened to? Apart from the, uh, well, I was thinking the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. I yeah. was thinking about uh, legacy and how the our previous talk about ambition and drive mm. and how the Rolling Stones must look back on their lives, hopefully with a sense of satisfaction. Yeah. Because they have, through music, changed a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. And music's a big part of my life and I've, you know, dabbled in trying to play in bands and singing in choirs and things and it's not until you do it that you realise how difficult it is and yeah. how good these people are. Yeah. Everyone yeah. listens to something like that and says, oh, I think I could do that. Yeah. And then you actually have a go and you think, oh, that's bloody hard. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Charlie Watts and, mm. and I mean, it's it's almost a cliche now to talk about, you know, how he sits behind the beat and all the rest of it. Um, but I don't know, you you listen to, you pick a song, you know, I, I don't know, I mean, I'd give me shelter or, or yeah. something, you know, and, and good Lord, you know, that, that. Sympathy for the devil. Yeah. That rhythm section, mm. you know, that. Oh my word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, would you have. Isn't it interesting? It's a question I've never asked. I don't think. Would you? It sounds it sounds obvious, but self-evident. But if given the chance, would you? Would you like to meet Mick or Keith? Or yeah, I think um, it would be really what, interesting. What would you? What would you speak to them? What would you say? I'd ask them what was important to them in life. Huh. You'd hope that they engaged with you, wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, I mean, the trouble is with people like that that yeah. they meet a thousand That's people right. a day That's and right. they have to be polite. That's right. But it would be interesting to sit down and have a drink or a cup of tea with yeah. someone like that yeah. in a non-confrontational situation. Mm. I think it'd be really interesting to... I saw Paul McCartney play last year. Right. I'm really glad we went. Mm -hmm. And um, I went initially thinking, well, you know, he's a Beatle and mm -hmm. he's old, mm -hmm. but I better go before he dies. And I was blown away by how good he was, mm. how fit he was. Mm. And you find yourself watching him all the time. Some people have that. The, the eye gets drawn to him. And I was thinking during that, you know, do I watch him? Am I watching him just because he's a Beatle? Mm. Or am I watching him because of the presence he has? Mm. And I, <clears throat> I think it's the latter. So I'm always interested right. to meet people who are, who are famous because they're really good at something. Who's the most famous person you've met? Ooh. Uh, um... Oh, Prince Andrew. I met Prince Andrew once. Mm. Uh, sorry, Prince Edward. Mm. Um, he's not, either or. Doesn't yeah, matter. he's not particularly famous. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, that wasn't very illuminating. Um, it was quite boring, actually. <laughs> anyone, that. that, anyone that's not let Don't you down. minute that. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's big enough to take it. <laughs> Who else have I met that's famous? Um, I don't know that I've met anyone really famous, actually. Mm. I've met lots of um, key people in medicine and in research, but um, they're not famous more <clears throat> yeah. more globally than that. So you, says you, you mentioned Paul McCartney, and it was, I think it was Mark Maron again. I often mention him, he does the WTF podcast, and he interviewed Paul McCartney, and, and he said a couple of things I thought were funny, and, and one was that he was interviewing him, and he, and, you know, he was in his garage or whatever, and, looking at it, and, he, kept, and he kept having to stop himself going, 
fuck, I'm sitting facing, <laughs> you know, it's a beetle. He said it, it was this really weird know, thing that kept happening. Yeah. You know. Uh, you have to stop doing that. Right. The, the, the fanboy thing. <clears throat> right. And the other thing was that Paul McCartney is used to being Paul McCartney. He's used to hmm. dozens and dozens of people every yeah. single day telling him how much that he means to them. Yeah. And just, I mean, he's obviously practiced at it now hmm. but what a very strange existence for yeah. one of seven billion or eight billion people yeah. on the planet and you have to stay on message all the time right. because if you're grumpy with one person then yeah. it's all over the press the next day yeah. you know paul yeah. mccartney rude to somebody yeah so yeah. but you know they talk about the price of fame and all cliches are true yeah so he obviously wanted it this right at, and when you think about the 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 period that he's lived through and mm. been famous through unbelievable i i don't I mean, Paul, if you're listening, I would, I would ask you, are you okay, mate? Because, mm. again, existentially, I would find. Oh, who knows what I would find? But I, I, I just think, when you realise that, as he does, that he's one of the cornerstones of human existence within the last certainly a hundred years. Mm. You know, one of the one of the names, you know, one of those names that spring immediately to mind. Yep. And, is he okay? The, the opposite of it, the insignificance we were talking about before. Yeah. I think he looks okay now. He went through a rocky patch, obviously. Mm. When Linda died and, yeah. and he and had that terrible The second marriage thing. didn't work out. And mm-hmm. He seems very happy with his third wife. He yeah. seems happy with his family. He yeah. has a legacy. Yeah. He's, um, you know, got the meat-free stuff that he's That's right. interested in. He's got something to believe in. Yeah, he seems he seems in a good place. Yeah, was that? Did you see him at the the winery thing? Um, no, it was no. in Melbourne, um, oh. but it was just bloody fantastic. Yeah. You know, he sat down. He did love me do, and the harmonica <laughs> came in. Yeah. And I, the hairs in the back of my neck stood up, Good and Lord. I thought, I can't believe I'm standing here. Yeah, yeah. So again, that's how music transcends things yeah. um, for me, anyway. I, I heard something that was very funny about him, or one of his band members, and they and he said that I think it was him who said that. They get, they get, I don't think they get upset about it, but they think it's weird because there's this kind of black stadium when they're playing the new stuff. Yeah. And then as soon as they play a Beatles song, the it whole goes. thing just goes, and all the phones, you know, all the flashes on all but the phones. But you have to come to up. terms with that because yeah. that's part of people's lives. That's right. that's but right. talking of, you know, famous people, I've, mm. as I was saying. Got I've another met, one now? Well, no, I've met oh. Nobel Prize winners as well. Ah. And, um, you know, that's interesting as you well. just they slipped your mind the first time, did it? Well, they're probably less famous glo- okay. globally. Um, well, name drop, but, try me. Uh, Peter Doherty, for example. I don't know. Who, yeah, well, there you are. So. <laughs> <laughs> Melbourne-based um, immunologist, um, unbelievable guy, fantastic with students, great okay. lecturer. Nobel found, Prize. Yeah, founded the Doherty Institute. Yeah. Still, still working in Melbourne. Um, but, um, you know, busy when I met him, but mm. delightful. Mm. Um, obviously fiercely intelligent, which is something I really respect. Yeah. Um, but able to give his time to, um, to our students and to our academics mm. and spoke really well to a, to a mixed audience in a guest lecture, which yeah. I hosted. Isn't that an interesting word? Fiercely intelligent, how those two are put together. Mm. It sort of implies... Well, intelligence has to be fierce in some ways because yeah. it's competitive. Yeah, well, that's right. Uh, you know, it's the human animal's competitive and yeah. academia and intelligence is competitive in the same way as athletic ability or musical mm. ability or whatever. It's all, we, we have to be... We're hardwired to be competitive. Yeah. 
yeah and it slightly implies a certain um you know a fearsomeness to approach these people yeah i mean you think about that you know i'm sure you've i mean you've obviously met a lot more um academics and people renowned especially in the scientific world and yeah. all that do, do you this is a leading question again i'm not doing very well today but but you know do you ever do you, do you have a sense um oh god they must be so many leagues above me or you know that kind of imposter syndrome thing um no i don't i don't have that so much i respect them mm-hmm. uh, and i'm always interested to meet them mm. uh, barry marshall's another nobel prize winner who's oh. from western australia the guy who um discovered helicobacter pylori oh and he okay. was uh, i organized our annual australian conference mm-hmm. for gastroenterology and he very kindly agreed to be a speaker and and the uh, the first slide he put up was a rejection letter from the Australian Gastro Society <laughs> when he he submitted his work for a poster um, for H. pylori. <laughs> yeah, the, the and first, it said, "Dear oh, Dr. Marshall, oh, thank you very much for your submission. Unfortunately, it doesn't meet the required standard uh, for the society, <laughs> and we won't be accepting your poster." But he sort of, you know, he got a big laugh. But he how many turned, years ago? How many years prior was did he get that? Uh, oh, that was early on in his yeah, work, so I think yeah. it was when he was still a registrar. But he turned it into a talk to the registrars and the trainees saying, you know, if you're going to do research and yeah. if you're going to try, you have to cope with rejection sure. and um, you have to keep keep on going. I just thought it was a good, good way to introduce it. I mean, you can extrapolate to all sorts of things, wouldn't you? You know, that yeah. that, that idea of resilience, um, you know, can it be taught? Must must we go through rejection and, and hard times and things to... Yeah, to, um, I think you have to. Yeah. And um, I think um, one of the one of the issues with um, uh, not putting people under stress now and this emphasis on well-being yeah. is that sometimes it doesn't prepare you for the real world. Yeah, quite. And, and then people hit the buffers mm-hmm. when they get out into a more Darwinian society, whether yeah. it's in medicine or something else. Yeah. Uh, now we're at risk of me taking us into that in my day thing, but, you know, the, 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 house, the houseman experience that we yeah. enjoyed was probably not quite the right word. Um, but I think we both enjoyed some of it, but not mm, all of it. And mm. um, you know, there is no sweet spot. No, uh, you true. trade you trade well being right. for right. experience, and um, I don't think any of us have got the right answers. And there's been some mm. terrible stories recently of mm-hmm. people still having awful times in mm. medicine as junior trainees. And I don't think any of us have the right answer there. No. I think it, I think it's about respect, and I think it's about treating people as you would like to be treated. Um, but uh, we all still work hard. So mm. if you model that and you say, you know, I'm a consultant and I'm working hard, mm. um, but I don't expect you to do any more than I'm doing. Do you remember a couple of years ago when, as happens every 10 years or so, a couple of SAS, prospective SAS people died of heat exhaustion on the yep. Brecon Beacons? Yeah. A couple of years ago now, two, three yeah, years ago? Probably. And yeah. and 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 And... That you know, it was met with a 21st century response from some quarters, which is, well, we really need to look and make sure this doesn't happen again. And quite a few SAS people said, well, actually, no, we don't. Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, that's the extreme. That's right. Um, but um, again, you know, if you're going to have, well, the SAS is the extreme, but if you're going to have an elite fighting force that's mm-hmm. going to get dropped into Afghanistan right. or, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia or wherever they might need to get dropped into, yeah. you'd want to know that they can cope with the extremes. That's right. Otherwise, they're not going to be able to do their jobs. That's, there's a reason it's called selection. Yeah. 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 Um, same in medicine, though. You know, yeah. we had a, um, you know about this, yes. but we had a tragedy, yes. um, which is one of the reasons you came to help us in the school. And I'm always 
always been very grateful for your help. Oh, um, but um, the tragedy of someone going from medical school into an intern year yeah. and ten year ten days into his intern job not being able to continue and a tragedy occurring has stayed with me and will stay with me forever. Yeah. And that was a failure of the system of all of us. And I don't have the right answers, but um, mm. being aware of it is part of the way back. I had a conversation, <clears throat> and, I'm, and I'll, I'll be careful not to identify in any way, but I had a conversation with a very junior doctor last week, two mm -hmm. weeks ago, mm. and we were, we were, we were, at, we were in, the, in the middle of a shift, and um, yep. um, the doctor I was speaking to ostensibly casually dropped into the conversation um we i think we were talking about some a patient that i'd seen that that had lost the job because the medication they were taking made them sleepy and they mm. etc and the, the doc doctor i was talking to um said oh i've been late for work once when um you know when i got my medicine mixed up when i when i when i took my mm -hmm. this instead of my antidepressant or whatever and um and 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 of course, these things are never accidental. No. And and what what the doctor was saying to me was, I take antidepressants. And yep. more interestingly than that, to me was that the doctor then went on to say, Yeah, we, I, I, you know, I let some time pass. I said, You know what? That was really, I didn't say brave because that sounds condescending, but that was, I'm really impressed that you would bring that up with me, your boss, or yep. you know, yep. never mind what type of a boss I am, but just that you would feel able to to talk about this. Um, thank you for sharing and, and that sort of thing. And the doctor said, "Well, um, yeah, you know, we well we often uh, amongst junior doctors talk about it amongst ourselves, mm. as in which antidepressant we're on." Mm. Um, I said, "How many do you think?" I know this is impossible. She said, well, "She said about twenty percent are on antidepressants." Yep. And I and I thought two things. I thought fantastic. Again, that we're talking about this yes. because we're our generation. I think I can safely say wouldn't, mm. you know, the stigma or embarrassment, whatever it was. And two, that sounds like an awful lot of junior doctors um, that, that 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 are clinically depressed. I reckon oranges. that might be an underestimate, actually. right? And I don't think it's just in medicine. I think you would find the same in law and in, you yeah. know, merchant banking and engineering and all of the professions certainly the creative uh, yeah. uh, professions you know and um maybe it's because there's a better acknowledgement of it now and people are more willing to seek help mm -hmm. whereas 20 years 30 years ago people yeah. just bashed on yeah yeah but you as you say i mean all of us i mean I, the, the 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 tragedy of the the single case that you mentioned the case this the, the the single incident of the, of the person that we know mm. taking his own life, um, we we all I think struggle with knowing what the right thing to do is yeah. as 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 um, as supervisors, leaders for yourself as the dean of the medical school. Mm. Um, I don't think anyone knows what the right thing to do is. That's that, and as we did that project together, I, th yeah. I struggled with that. What, I think all you can do is do your best. Yeah. And I think modeling is really important. As so, in role, role, role modeling. Yep. Uh, yeah. So I've tried as the head of the school, the position I've just recently stepped down from over the last six years to not lose my temper 
to behave professionally and courteously to everyone, mm. to laugh a lot, to tell jokes, to try and enjoy my time at work. Even if I'm not having an enjoyable day, I try to um, to do that. Yep. And to talk to everyone yep. and make sure that everyone knows that they can come and talk to me. And I've had all sorts of discussions with students and with mm. staff, you know, from terrible, emotional, mm. um, awful experiences that people have had to uh, life-affirming, delightful discussions. And that's why it's such a great privilege to do it, that job. That's the word, privilege. And I know sometimes when you're, you, you will have struggled, been struggling yourself, and yet yep. you you put on that that Superman cape or Superwoman cape. Sometimes you know to yep. to to actually, uh, it's almost a performance, isn't it? Whatever you're going through in your life, I'm I'm in this role, therefore I'm going to make a joke. I'm going to yeah take on the uh, troubles of others. Well, when I came to the school, it had gone through a, a bit of a bruising phase, and um, morale was pretty low, and we were still you know in a startup phase. So yeah. I tried to um, tried to take that on in a, a sort of inspirational way yeah. as much as I could. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting, when I stepped down, people were really surprised that I decided to step down. And I don't think they saw what happened every day mm. and what you have to do every day. That um, reflects, I think, on your, uh, you know, the... the the skill, the way that you carried out your job. It's, it's, it, it's, the, it's the swan analogy, right? The, the paddling hard under, yeah, yeah. The, under the water. And, and I think it's the same for a lot of leadership positions. Mm. And one person who I respect a lot said to me, he said, you know, it's really interesting. Um, I always feel like I've had a very individual relationship with you mm. as, as our head of school. Right. Um, but I'm conscious now that 250 people have had that relationship with you. That's great. That's uh, great. Which I thought was quite reflective. Um, but he said, I, I hadn't thought about that before. That's wonderful. All right, go on and tell us your dad joke then. You, t- you said you make jokes. So I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> Horse walks into the bar. Mm. You know this one. No, go on. <laughs> he said, why the long face? <laughs> that is a dad joke. <laughs> We're here all the time. I got week. one. I got one. I got one. What do you call... I don't guess right. What do you call a, a field full of upside down naked Greek women? <laughs> No, a crop of lips. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Apologies to everyone in Greece. Oh my goodness, uh, that's bad, wasn't it? That's, anyway, sorry. Okay, well, let's. <laughs> with that, let's move on to your second song. Uh, and and I've already you've already said you won't remember which was the next, but I know this is a terribly important one mm. for you. Um, by yes. Oh, this onward. Yep. Uh, okay, so this is from. Uh, so yes, are a prog rock band, um, but I've actually thank you for clearing that up. <laughs> Everyone bored <laughs> after nineteen. Yeah, because most of you will never have heard of them. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think the audience for this is? I know. <laughs> well, that's true. Uh, so progressive rock. Why am I interested in progressive rock? Um, that's a good question. Uh, but again, I'm not. I'm the interviewer, so I'll ask them. Because ask. <laughs> <laughs> just be quiet. I'm talking here. Um, so uh, I think I'm interested in the complexity of it and mm-hmm. in the same way as I'm interested in complex novels, mm-hmm. I'm interested in complex music. And there's a time and a place for, you know, three chord Ramones type songs. Yeah, and yeah. I think the Ramones are fantastic. And sometimes I'll put that or the Sex Pistols on or something. And I think that's great. Mm. But often I have a real thirst for something that's incredibly complex and almost classical in its approach. Mm. And um, yes, we're a group at their prime of five superb musicians mm. 
who all happened to come together. Mm-hmm. And Rick Wakeman, for example, the keyboardist, mm-hmm. was classically trained. Yep. Um, and um, no, great musicians. And uh, for about 10 years, they've become a bit of a parody of themselves, unfortunately, more recently. But yeah. for about 10 years, they were truly outstanding. This, in fact, is not one of their prog rock specials. This is a love song. Yeah. Uh, written by Chris Choir, who sadly died of leukemia about two or three years ago. He was their bass player yep. who took bass playing to a new level. Um, yep, definitely one of the greats. Such a virtuoso. Uh, but it's a great love song called Onward. And if I could write music, which I can't, it would be the sort of love song I would write to my wife. Hmm. I'm going to quote you. It's, it's just to rest, wrestle back the interview from your, your uh, sweaty <laughs> mitts. Uh, actually, you just said it, but um, uh, there, there was just something very important that that you that you mentioned as well. Uh, I mean, not not more important than saying um, this. This is one I would have written to my Helena, which is what you said beautifully. Um, but um, the tormato, not tomato, tormato. Mm. The album title comes from one of the tours on Dartmoor, where I spent many weekends in the rain, yep. training for the ten tours in the Duke of Edinburgh. Yep. With so, my friend, with my friend Roger as well. Yeah, so I just thought died. it was important to yeah. uh, mention yeah. that, and you can say nothing or something now or afterwards or whatever you want about Roger if you like to. So Roger was my <laughs> best friend at school. He died in an accident when I was twenty-three, nineteen eighty-eight. So after we'd left school, and I still miss him every day, and I think about him a lot, and. It was the first time I'd thought about mortality. I'd had grandparents mm. who died, mm. but we were all going to live forever. And Roger and I were going to grow up together and have yeah. kids and be godparents to each other's children and yeah. always see each other. And then suddenly he's dead. And um, and I still keep in touch with his dad, who's mm. in his 80s now, Chris. Mm. And his younger brother, interestingly, did a PhD in geology and then became an emergency physician right? and works in Leeds now. Huh. Uh, which is interesting. Roger always wanted to do medicine, but was dyslexic and couldn't get in. Yeah. Um, and would have been a great doctor, I'm sure. Um, so it was just tragic. And interestingly, our group, our friendship group, sort of fell apart a bit after that, right. because Roger was the glue that held us all together. Right. You know, everyone plays a role in sure. their friendship groups, and he was the one that held us together. And he died, and we were never the same after that. Oh, I'm so terribly sorry. Yeah. Um, and you would have. But we had great walks, you know, we did the 10 tours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, well, explain what that is for... for, So the 10 tours is a ridiculous thing where you start at 7 o'clock on Saturday morning, Mm. you finish at 5 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, Mm. you have to go up and down 10 tours, which are like little mini mountains Mm. in Dartmoor, Mm -hmm. um, which is where they built one of Britain's biggest biggest prisons, and there's a reason for that. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, word. They couldn't... If you escape the prison, the the moors get you, right? Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, uh, But it's sort of beautiful in a a very wild uh, sort of way. Yeah. And you have to take all of your stuff with you, your camping equipment and your food and everything, and Mm. it teaches you... It's a cliche, but it teaches you about teamwork and working together. And yeah. the year we did it, it rained all the time, wow. constantly, until we crossed the finish line when the sun came out. What a feeling of uh, achievement. I know, I know. And uh, Roger and I did it together with a few of the other guys. Thank goodness you have that experience. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever tragedy befell uh, Roger, uh, you know, may you rest in peace. What a wonderful thing to have experienced mm. together. Um, especially, I mean, there's almost a... Is a almost a clumsy analogy with what what being a junior doctor was like, being awake in in trying circumstances. Yep. And yeah. were you was it 
post when did you do this was this after school pre-med school uh, this was still when we were still at school still at school yeah so early 1980s yeah yeah all right well let's um let's listen to yes so onward yeah onward by yes
I, I wanted to talk to you about your your link with Essex. Yep. And and this is not again an Andrew Denton attempt to make you cry, but um, the 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 reason was when when I interviewed you before, obviously being an Essex lad myself. Um, mm. There's Essex and there's Essex. Yeah. Essex became hijacked, as you know, by the white stiletto um, Ford XR3i yes, brigade. The only way is Essex. Right, and that's proudly my heritage mm. from Romford. But then there is a, I think, well, I'm not sure how much people in Australia know about Essex at all. I hope it's not that TV show that you just mentioned. But the Essex countryside, as we know, is yeah. remarkable. It's beautiful. Absolutely remarkable. Yeah. Um, and I, th- this time last year, I, I was lucky enough to take one of my best mates on a little drive around the countryside, trying to find places where they filmed um, Detectorist uh, oh, yes. TV yeah. show. And, yeah. we, and we succeeded. Found an old Norman church. It was wonderful. Mackenzie Crook is a great right. actor. Isn't he? Mm. Do you like that TV show, by the way? Yeah, it's it's quirky but funny. Yeah. And uh, so English. And fantastic it. in the office as well. Yeah, yeah. Not about me. Um, apologies. Um, your, I just wanted to lead you into, in a very open way, your link with Essex. So I uh, I wasn't brought up in Essex. I was no. born in North London, brought up in Taunton in Somerset. Yep. But after I left to go to university, my parents moved to Essex uh, because mum got a job there as nursing manager for Central Essex and dad had retired by then. He worked for the Admiralty. And um, they settled in a village called Great Braxted, mm. which is sort of the country bit of Essex and is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And uh, they had a very happy time there for probably best part of 15 years. So yeah. dad was church warden and parish councillor, um, did a lot with the church. Mum had a very successful career. They made a lot of friends in the village. Mm. And um, after my father died, which was at the end of last year, he wanted to be buried in Great Braxted. Yeah. Um, he wanted his ashes to be buried. So we said, yeah, we can do that for you, Dad. Mm. So we took his ashes back. Um, so I went back. Mum had gone back for six weeks um, and was staying with my brother in Yorkshire, but was coming down for the ceremony. And I brought Dad's ashes over in the last week um, that she was there. So I had to go to Guernsey for a couple of days right. uh, on a business thing because Deakin, the university that I... Um, uh, worked for, or I'm still working for, um, is hoping to form some academic links. Guernsey oh. are, are hoping to build a university because oh. they don't have a university. Okay. So they sent me over to have some conversations with them. Very nice. So anyway, had three days of meetings. Guernsey's beautiful. Yeah. Highly recommend it. If you're a billionaire, you can live there. <laughs> or you <laughs> so, can buy one of those little islands around yeah, there, right? Yeah, exactly. Sark, around Sark or whatever it is. Sark, Mern, yeah. and the other one. In fact, those those dreadful uh, twin brothers. The Barclays. Uh, that's right. Sorry, I shouldn't yeah. say those dreadful twin I don't know. Mm. Uh, <laughs> by reputation, those dreadful twin brothers. <laughs> I'm sure they're lovely for you. Disclaimer. They, they speak very highly of you. <laughs> Do they? <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, meetings Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. The funeral was Thursday morning. Mm. Wednesday lunchtime, the fog rolled in. Right. Um, uh, so went to the airport, flight delayed, mm. um, blah, blah, blah. Stayed for two or three hours at the airport, flight cancelled. Went back to the desk. This is about five o'clock on the Wednesday afternoon. Um, oh, we can get you on a flight later on to Southampton. Okay, that's great. Flight delayed, flight delayed, cancelled. Seven o'clock in the evening. My brother texts me and says, everything all right for tomorrow? I said, bit of a problem here. I'm on Guernsey. Yeah. Uh, can't get off. 
Um, so I phoned um, one of the guys from Specsavers, Stretch, Contel, who used to be mayor of Guernsey, uh, mayor of um, Geelong, and uh, <laughs> right. and now works in Guernsey for Specsavers because okay. they have their world headquarters there. Do they? Not, not for tax reasons at all. Uh, and Stretch very kindly said, oh, I think we can help you out with that. Um, so he kindly had me to stay that night because there wasn't a hotel room to be had anywhere in Good Guernsey because the fog had Did rolled in. you say in. Stretch? Yeah. He's from uh, Eastern Europe. Right. Because you know I'm thinking of Stretch Armstrong. Uh, yes. Is it spelled the same way? Uh, S-T-R-E-T-C-H. I've, I've managed to say two facetious things in, in two sentences. I'm, I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, carry on. So anyway, um, Father's Ashes in Guernsey. Funeral supposed to be happening in Essex. And um, the following morning, Stretch got me onto the Specsavers private plane. So we flew out of Guernsey <laughs> at six in the morning. So it was fantastic. It's the only way to travel. I can highly Quite. recommend it. I, if one knows a I billionaire. Would, I wouldn't go commercial. <laughs> <laughs> so there's none of this nonsense about putting your, your luggage through yeah. the x-ray thing or anything. There's yeah. a nice man who says, hello, sir, you know, come this way. And then they come through a bit later and say, oh, we're ready for boarding now. So was it we'll one of those, on go- those little Gulfstream things? Uh, it wasn't a jet. It was a twin oh, prop. Oh, um, really? So... Um, uh, slumming it in the twin prop. Uh, As I uh, said, it's very Hugh Grant-y. Anyway, it's, it's very... <laughs> so uh, uh, Dad would have laughed because I'm sure he'd have always wanted to go in a private plane. Yeah, he right. Got, he got to go. He arrived, <laughs> he arrived in style. So anyway, they yeah. took me to Southampton. So, oh. and I'd, I'd ordered a car from there right. because I knew there'd be no taxis. So you arrive in the private terminal, of course, of which course. is different to the airport. And this nice fellow picks me up, young fellow from Poland or somewhere. Yeah. And he said to me, oh, hello. He says, are you famous? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I'm pretty well known in Geelong. I think. <laughs> <laughs> he said, well, I've looked you up and all I can find is this doctor from Australia. Isn't that and, interesting? And I said, oh, well, that's me. He said, we've got Rod Stewart arriving next week. <laughs> looked a bit disappointed. So anyway, <laughs> I made it with half an hour to spare. So, oh, really? Yeah. Uh, not wishing to disrespect Stretch, but he couldn't have just made his plane go all the way to Essex? Oh, I think they were flying other people, so I hitched a ride. They I were see. already flying Specsavers people. That was still pretty so generous. Then, so I said, just get me to the mainland and I'll see wow. you. I thought you were, I, th- I thought the story was going to go in the direction of, uh, and, I, and I commandeered a boat or something. <laughs> well, I started looking at ferries, <laughs> actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we couldn't have got there in time, so no. it a bloody disaster. But anyway, all went well. Interestingly, my father's two brothers turned up. So my Uncle Dick, who's now 94, and oh, Uncle Peter, who's 96. Good so Lord. it was fantastic that they could come. My cousins flew in from Northern Ireland and Mallorca and everywhere. So it was great. Where, where, where do his brothers live? Uh, both in East Anglia. Oh, um, so great. Suffolk and Norfolk. Um, <laughs> and we took a picture of the two of them sitting on a seat. And it wasn't until we developed the picture afterwards, you know, looked at it on the digital thing. Yeah. There's this ray of sunlight coming oh. down. <laughs> that's wonderful. I'm sure that's Dad looking down. Did you? So, uh, I don't know if I phrase this the right way. You, something that stuck out in my mind was that you said Dad said that he would like to, you know, be buried. Yes. Go 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 back go back to there. Yeah. What was that conversation like? Oh, it was a really good conversation. He told me what he wanted at his funeral and um, where he wanted to be buried, and I said to him, "Have you had a good time in Australia, Dad?" Because he, I'm conscious that they came over for 15 years. Yeah. At the so, Dad was in his late 70s when we came, yeah. 93 when he died, and I felt very responsible for that. Yep. You know, obviously they chose to come, but they wouldn't have come unless we came. And yep. We had the conversation with them when they first came. You know, our friends aren't going to be your friends, yep. and it's different living here to being on holiday. And they said, "Oh yes, we understand that." And they actually got bedded in really quickly. Yeah. 
made really good friends from the cathedral in Ballarat and friends of the botanical gardens and dad played golf yeah. and he was really fit until his late 80s so yeah, had a yeah. good 10 or 11 years yeah and he said no I've, I've had a really good time in australia i've really enjoyed it it's been great to see um ali and jack grow up and then, you know the grandchildren yeah and um he before he died he said i've been so lucky and i've got no regrets and i've mm-hmm. had a wonderful wife god and he died in his sleep so and his two brothers um you know, we, we you know we have we have different perspectives clearly as we travel yeah. through life. Yeah. One would hope that when you and I are 106 and 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 reflecting, we would have a completely, well, not completely. We we would have a a serene um, approach to our impending demise. Yeah, I'm not sure that always happens. No, I, I, I know it doesn't happen. <laughs> you and I both, have, unfortunately, have, have, I've seen, have seen the We've evidence. both seen professionally. Some people yeah. go raging into That's the right. night. That's right. But you're, um, I, I suppose my, more than the sort of philosophical or, or even the sort of spiritual question, more the, uh, the was there, were they introspective at all? Was, was there a degree of insight or wisdom in conversations at their brother's funeral? Yeah. Yep. So um, Uncle Dick, who's dad's identical twin, mm. so dad was a triplet, yep. um, said he thought it was great that um, they spoke so highly of dad at the church. So there's only been one church warden since who, um, Ken, oh, right. who very kindly organized the service for oh, us and, and everyone who was there. So some friends from the village came and spoke highly of him and Uncle Dick really liked that. And, yeah. Um, and Uncle Peter, likewise, it was great that they could come and all of my cousins and everyone. Explain for me, is the warden that one down from a vicar or, or helps well, the vicar? Well, the, the church warden is not ordained, but is the yeah. person who sort of organises, you know, keeps the wheels turning. Yeah, yeah. So organises the service and, you know, makes sure the church is working and yeah. keeps the pews clean and stops the tower falling down and, you know, <laughs> organises yeah. the appeals. And, yeah, when the, yeah. You yeah. know. So, and, and, and is, is the church one of those? Classic older... Uh, yes, so churches. it's a very old church, and it's actually in the private grounds of what they call the Big House, oh. uh, which is um, now owned by a businessman, I think, but was the aristocrat's house. And yeah. actually Stan Polly, who lived next door to mum and dad, who was in his early 90s when they moved into the village, yeah. was in service in the Big House. Oh. Um, you know, uh, before... To the Lord of the Manor, sort yeah, of Yeah, before the Second World War. So his father had been in service, and he was in service. Oh. So it actually was still in living memory that it had been the aristocratic house, and that's what Britain's like, I guess. Yep, and 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 our our friends from America, notoriously, you know, these these places fall into into ruin, and, and yep. notoriously, the aristocratic families are, are, are driving around with patched up Volvos and uh, asset rich and that's cash right, poor. That's right. So yeah, so Dad's actually buried there in the overlooking the lake with the house yeah. on the other side and it's in the garden of remembrance which he helped to set up when he was which he established when he was the church warden wow. and i hadn't ever seen it so oh. it's a great place for him to be buried okay let's um i i, I um i've got so many questions but I, i'm there's a there's a lot there's an awful lot of um, of sort of dying and mortality uh, conversations that yeah. I think I need to I, I need to move us away from <laughs> <laughs> talking of death with respect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so well, naturally, let's go straight back to it because this is really a quite wonderful piece of music, um, 
and it's longer than all of your your prog and i've just yeah. seen you know, it's very unfair because your prog ones weren't actually that long but this i want to, i want you to talk about I, I want you to tell the story of Mozart and 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 how he came Is into this the Miserere. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Into yeah. I'm glad you said it because I was yeah. waiting for you to. Um, uh, I, th- I, th- I agree with you. I think this is a wonderful story. Yeah. So this is an apocryphal story. So the Miserere is traditionally performed at the Vatican on Ash Wednesday, mm-hmm. uh, which, as you'll know, being a good Christian, <laughs> happens do. before Easter. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so uh, it was written by Allegri. Um, in the 1500s Mm -hmm. and the story goes that for 200 years or so the popes the vatican kept the music closely guarded so Mm. it was performed once a year and it was a you know legendary beautiful piece of music but nobody else could perform it because that's where it sat the story goes that a young mozart went to the vatican uh, on ash wednesday listened to the piece, uh, went back to his lodgings or, you know, to have a coffee or whatever you did in the late 1700s or Mm. the early 1700s, um, and um, wrote the piece of music down. So remembered it and wrote it down by ear. And that's how the music got out into the world. Um, Now, who knows if that's true, but it's a great story nonetheless. And it is a stunningly beautiful piece of music. Yeah. For the musical amongst you, it, it has a top C, so the trebles yep. have to do a top C. Um, my old college at Cambridge, St. John's College, does, in my opinion, and I'm not biased at all, the definitive version, and they do it every Ash Wednesday yeah, and yeah. it's broadcasted. And it's important for it just, just, I mean, and Kim, will, my, my mate who's, who edits these brilliantly, thanks, Kim, uh, they're obviously like a lot of, well, like all of the classical pieces, there's, there's, umpteen versions and and things so we'll be very specific that this is the choir of st john's college cambridge that's the one that you're yeah um and there's there's in in again being a brilliant interviewer um uh that i am i uh i I read around this a little bit as well and that high c yeah that that you mentioned did you hear the other the apocryphal bit that goes with that no i haven't heard that so the story that let me get this right the story goes that at some point after Mozart's incredible feat of, mm. you know, well, you know, Mozart, a genius, um, the uh, the music was transcribed um, inaccurately uh, by, I don't want to say he's not Liszt, not Mendelssohn, another uh, well-known classical yeah. composer everyone would have heard of. And yep. um, unfortunately, uh, transcribed it sharp ah. by four steps. Oh, and and somehow the uh, that and and then that became the the standard, right? So that's why it's so which high. explains why there's there's basically the highest ever yeah. <laughs> in in the whole classical canon. For, yeah. and, 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 and obviously, I don't know how high sopranos are comfortable with, but as I understand it, it's the well, highest. Generally, a top A is is comfortable for for a good soprano or a good treble yeah um so a c as you know is two two tones above that it, it's, it's so really top b is pushing it and a top c not many have it yeah and again there's this sort of debate about uh trebles versus sopranos and mm. the difference in tone mm. and i think um mixed choirs can do this beautifully mm. but is it it is interesting st john's still has boy trebles and um uh it, it does make a very beautiful tone out of it. And you've presumably you've heard it sung in yeah 
in, in yeah. like, what is the main uh, St John's Chapel? S- so. Is that the main cathedral in Cambridge? No, no, no. So each of the colleges has a chapel. Oh, it's just and, one of uh, it's one of dozens, is it? Yeah, but St John's is a big chapel right, and right, right. Um, has a very fantastic choral tradition and has its yeah. own choir school actually. Yeah. Uh, so King's is the very famous one. Yeah. Uh, St yeah. John's has yeah. a has an excellent choir school and uh, was I was lucky enough to go there. So I was actually back at Cambridge for three weeks last November doing That's the right. course yeah. and uh, really enjoyed going back to chapel and hearing the... And you'd um, listen to the, the choirs. Hearing oh, the choir again. good Lord. All right, well, let's listen to this amazing bit of music. Um, maybe that's the first time anyone's referred to it as a bit of music as well. <laughs> Good Lord, I'm homeless.
Chess fan? You ever chess? You a chess fan? Uh, yeah, my my brother's actually very good at chess. Um, I didn't I'm, ask that. Though. I'm sort of you. mediocre, <laughs> but I've always, always enjoyed playing it. And yeah. um, uh, chess is a really interesting game because it sort of encapsulates many, many things about life, yeah. which uh, you know, strategy, conquest, yeah. cruelty, yeah. Uh, submission, mm. uh, life, the universe, and all that. And how you approach it, revealing about your personality and how yeah. you play the game. Yeah. Have you have you have you studied much about Magnus Carlsen? Have you have you been through his stuff? World well? champion. Unless Do, he's playing Deep Blue. Yeah. Oh no, I think isn't that the one he can beat? There's there's an. Uh, like, or there might be another one. There's now. another so one, there's one that's that can beat him. Yeah, there's one. They've done it now. They've they've, they've ruined that for everybody. Yeah. Um, but the reason I mention it is because they call him the Mozart of chess. You know, mm. which is I mean that's a very 21st century way of approaching it, but. I saw this thing the other day and, you know, so there's, the point to this is that we, we kind of just went past the fact that Mozart as a 11-year-old or 12-year-old or whatever yeah. he was sat and, wrote and, it and, and, and went, yeah, I can remember that mm. and did the whole thing. Yeah. And we, I think we can all agree that's pretty, that's pretty uh, clever. Yeah. I saw Magnus Carlsen blindfolded playing three simultaneous games of chess mm. on a stage Against uh, one guy was a sort of um, uh, Wall Street 
the economist, you know, one of like a very, very smart man. Yeah. Uh, another one was an actor from um, The Wire, I think it was. And the, and the middle person was um, someone else of renown, anyway. Smart people, three people that were very mm. good at chess. And Magnus Carlsen was blindfolded and played on a clock against all of them. Yeah. With no order, they could all just move whenever they wanted to. And he beat yeah. all of them. He beat one with that, beat them outright. The other one knocked his own king over. Yeah. And the other one managed to hold out, um, but ran out of time. Mm. Blindfolded, holding three separate boards in his head. Mm. And I suppose there's all sorts of things that I thought, I, I think we can talk about with that, but as a as a as a medical man, where do you even go with the capability of of some people to to perform the Mozart thing, to perform the Magnus Carlsen thing? What have you have you ever met genius like that? Have you ever? I mean, you've met people that have, that have won Nobel Prize. Yeah, right? well, people who win Nobel prizes are not always geniuses. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they are clearly very bright and very good at what they do but also have a significant amount of application sure so you know it's 99 percent in uh, perspiration one percent inspiration mm. uh i probably when i was at cambridge i met yeah. the brightest people i'd ever meet in right. my entire life well tell me about that yeah well the good thing about the college system in cambridge is that you're not just with doctors yeah. or medical students so that's why it was so great to go there and um my best friends were geographers and historians and mm. philosophers and natural mm. scientists and and it was a whole world that I wasn't aware of. Yes. Um, because I'd come from a relatively small public what in Australia they'd call private Probably. school. It was a good school though. It was a reasonable school, yeah. And um my year we got four people into Oxbridge, which there was was an good? absolute triumph yeah, for good. them. Yeah. Um so they were delighted with that. Yeah. And I went and met people from Manchester Grammar who'd got fifty in that year. Yeah, and uh, you know Winchester practically the whole of their sixth form, so they did Winchester did their A levels two years early and then spent two years doing the Oxbridge mm. exams. Yeah, uh, so it's just a completely different concept to me. Yeah, yes. So I'll, I'm going to just get you to reflect on what you just said. <clears throat> so looping back to what we said at the start about you know luck and application, obviously yeah. incredible hard work. Do you remember f feeling like? Well, I'm trying not to lead you into an answer here. Do you remember how you felt when you understood that some schools were bent towards getting yeah. as many as possible? In? Well, it was a real eye opener. So I used to do, when I went in, you still had to do the Cambridge entrance exam, mm. so they didn't look at the A-levels. Mm. And I used to do the maths papers with my teacher, and he'd say, I've got no idea about this answer. And we'd sort of work it out together. And he'd say, well, that might be right, I'm not sure. So that was the sort of situation I was working in before sure. I went into the sure. exams. And I got there and there was this whole world that I wasn't aware of. Um, and I just felt, you know, I'd always wanted to go and I was it was great to go. So you I just wanted to go to Cambridge? Yeah, mm -hmm. I didn't really feel that it was better or worse, their experience, than mine. I just thought it was really interesting. And then there were these people who were so, so clever. And that was really good for me as well. Um, because, um, you know, it really pulls you along if you have interesting discussions about, I don't know, the Bible or, mm. you know, the Israeli political situation sure. or whatever. Yep. Uh, it really broadens and opens your mind and, and helps you to, helps you to, um, understand your place in the world yeah. and your place in society. Yeah. We should, we should, we should, you mentioned it, but we should explain as well the, 
the the brilliance of the college system within the Oxford and Cambridge and Oxbridge, obviously yeah. being a conflation. In that, in most universities, you 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 know you might. I suppose you live in halls of residence and things, but but Oxbridge mm. has this thing where you you you're assigned a college, yep. but, and you can be next to a geologist or a geo, you know geography student exactly. or a, phys, a physicist, yep. and so you're if if you're open to it, I suppose you're you're as you just said, you can learn an awful lot in your kind of living situation. Or well, the guy next to me, Hugh, who's still a very good friend of mine, did Anglo-Saxon, Norse, and Celtic. That was wow. his first degree, and he ended up doing law, but. Um, you know, he was doing things about Beowulf when I was trying to learn the <laughs> five branches of the crane, you know, the yeah. seventh cranial nerve. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, all of those things are good. The supervision system is excellent. So yeah. when I arrived, I said, well, you know, do we have lectures or anything? They said, oh, yes, there's, it's published in the university examiner. You can go to Heifers and buy the list if you want right. and attend them if you'd like to. Yeah. So it's that sort of gifted amateur type approach. Absolutely. And within the college, you have a supervision system. So... My anatomy tutor was Alexander Munro, who was a oh, descendant of the foramen yeah. of Munro. Yeah. So him and his uh, ancestors had occupied the same room in third court for about 250 years, one after the other. Good Lord. And um, he used to say things to me, you know, we'd go and have a glass of sherry and I'd say, oh, I'm terribly sorry, Dr. Munro, I haven't done my assignment from last year, you know, last week playing football and stuff. And you say, never mind, have a glass of sherry. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> You know, it sounds very cliched. And then he'd say, how do elephants walk? And mm. I think, oh, I'm not sure about that. And I think this is a ridiculous question. Mm. But, of course, it teaches you a lot because it teaches yeah. you to think and argue yeah. your corner. And, um, you know, you don't have to worry about facts necessarily. Yeah. You have to think about how you can define a position and how you can argue it and how you can use your brain. They want the, famously, they want thinkers, right? They want, yeah. they want people, and as I understand it, I mean, you know, the that the the entry system is different and probably remains different to most other universities because they want people i mean obviously we've heard there's a there's almost a training academies dotted around the, yeah. the, the the country but they want people that can apply original thought to a problem it's gone through various iterations but they still uh, you know the selection process and and it's worth saying that other universities do have a collegiate system melbourne mm. has a collegiate system mm. although only about 10 percent go and Durham and there are various other places. Yeah. The states have frat houses and sororities, which are a bit yeah. different again. Yeah. Um, you get into the whole zone of, of privilege and yes. um, uh, uh, how the entry system can be manipulated. Yep. And um, Ox Oxford and Cambridge are both looking very hard at that. And mm. I'm sure there are many geniuses who never had the chance to go mm. to either place. And yeah. Um, yeah. You know how you can try and select on on ability and potential rather than merit is a real struggle. Yep, and and obviously you've been at the pointy end of that. Yeah, professionally in, within I, medicine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it is, but you know, I mean, let's not draw a fail over it. Oxbridge is clearly the the benchmark against which all other universities, even the Ivy Leagues in America, are, are, are judged. Uh, it's certainly top five in the world. Harvard and um, Yale would argue that they're better. But I know, mean, setting aside whatever metrics you have exactly. as it, with your with yeah. your professional knowledge, you know, in terms of history and, and all the rest of it, I I think, yeah, that that, that question it's almost it's almost philosophical, isn't it? Is there somewhere in a council estate in in um, you know Bolton? Yep. you know the, the the greatest or a slum or a slum in Delhi, right? The greatest scientific mind, probably. Yeah, probably. and um, 
And the other, coming back to the collegiate system, I think that's one reason why Oxford and Cambridge work so well, because yeah. the colleges hire their own academics. Yeah. So you don't have a central command and control model, yeah. uh, which allows for the development of free thought in science, arts, and humanities. Yeah, yeah. And um, most universities, even the big Ivy League ones, don't have that model. Mm. So the colleges are, in many ways, more powerful at Oxford and Cambridge than the university. Yeah. The universities are quite poor, and the colleges are rich. So they say that you can walk from St John's Cambridge to St John's Oxford on land owned by both colleges. Oh, right. yeah, I remember that one. Uh, and Trinity owns most of the East End, Trinity, Cambridge. Does it really? Yeah. Huh. Um, so they were very sensible in the I Middle that was Ages. The twins. <laughs> um, they were very sensible in the Middle Ages. They didn't put their money into silver and gold. They put it into land. Hmm. And um, so they're still run by you know a shadowy council of illuminati of dons yeah who right. basically um oversee this vast funds were you ever tapped up for the uh, secret intelligence service i wasn't but a friend of mine was interestingly mm. so there was a there was a recruiter within st john's mm. um they obviously thought i wouldn't be a very good poker player <laughs> so i, I didn't get I a bit in. disappointed <laughs> i never got the call up but a friend of mine who was actually at durham yeah. used me as a reference so it was a real it's ah. like a john le Carre novel they go they go deep don't they yeah so this guy came and took me out for lunch and he had the bowler hat and the three-piece suit yeah and he went out for lunch in a pub and and they want to know about financial problems, yeah. um, sexual improprieties, anything that you can be blackmailed about. You or him? Uh, both, both, actually. Mm. Um, and he knew all about me, which was a bit of a worry. Mm -hmm. So, um, Well, yeah. You just reminded me of something about Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. There was something you said in your pro forma, and I'm going to have to come back to it. Oh, God, Lord. I was going to ask you if you... Oh, what was it now? It was something in your life that, that directly is reflected in Tinker well, Tailor Soldier Spy. That, it may have been my friend who, who did get into the Secret Service yeah. after I gave him the reference. and yeah. We lost touch. And then in the um, early 90s, I think, there was a group of people expelled from Moscow. Oh. Um, and he was, you know, it was published in the Times and sure. he was one of them. That's oh, right. oh, that's where he is. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he's up to. <laughs> that's what he's up to. Yeah. It was not that, and now I'm going to... Um, I'll tell you what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the next song because I'm going to quickly go through your pro forma and it, and it will remind me, but it was it was enough of a thing for me to think I must ask yeah. John about that. I can't remember that, but yep. it was two years. Have you read the book or seen the film? It, it, Tinker Tailor's Old yeah, Spot, yeah. both, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's go, to, let's go to the next song while I... What's the next song, Chris? Kick the, kick the neurons into gear. What's coming now, Chris? <laughs> well, John... <laughs> Um, now we've got our mate. Well, actually, we don't have. We we partly have our mate Stephen Wilson. Ah, uh, but, but we have. Ooh, yes, we have. Uh, we have his band Porcupine the, Tree. The Porcupines. Yeah. So Stephen Wilson again prog rock. Um, I only discovered him relatively recently, and you and I discovered him yeah. separately, and then sure. found out yeah, how much quite, we liked him. Yeah. Uh, so astonishing musician, fantastic yep. band Porcupine Tree. Now has released about four or five solo albums, which yep. are all outstanding. Incredible. I was playing one of them yesterday, actually. Which one? Um, Insurgentes. Oh, okay. Which is uh, yeah. less well known. Um, and um, again, this is not a classic prog track. It's called Lazarus. Mm -hmm. um, but I love the piano part. I love the structure of the song. Really good songwriters can structure mm. a song beautifully, and yeah. he has that ability. Yeah. Um, so he can write, he can sing, he can play almost any instrument. 
we were talking about Mozart before, and yeah. that's a big a big comparison. But Stephen Wilson is a highly, highly talented musician yeah, really is. who is now starting to get the recognition he deserves, I think, um, and is starting to break into the mainstream, but has been doing his thing for 25 years. So, Well, times are tough for musicians again, you know. Yeah. Um, we're, we're, I mean, probably the, the blip was actually that period between 56 and 92 when, yep. for a change, musicians actually good money but for for the last two thousand years you know we're back to minstrel days aren't we um but stephen wilson good lord um and so um let me just see uh if you can remember why you picked this one in particular what was the well i i picked it partly because um it's a good introduction to porcupine tree um Mm. it's um it's less dense and less complex than some of their stuff It's a beautiful song. Um, you know, it's a sort of bite-sized song which yeah. will give you an introduction to the, the, the genius of this yeah. guy. Yeah. Okay. Steve, pull the punch right. Has the chillest towns Past my window I can see a washed out moon Through the fog And then a voice inside my head Breaks the analog And says Follow me down to the valley below You know Moonlight is bleeding from out of your soul I survived against the will of my twisted Please. 
experience you had uh, working as a, a teacher for a time. Oh, yes. In a, in a, can you see where I'm going with the link to Tinker Tailor Soldier Boy? Yeah, vaguely. Keep going. Caravan. Yes. The Mark Strong in the film, Mark Strong, yes. I, I've forgotten the name of the character he played, unfortunately, yeah. but he obviously is a cornerstone of the entire thing. I won't give it away. Everybody should read the book and see the film. But he lived in a caravan yep. on the grounds of a, uh, a school that he's So, yeah, so I worked in the Duke of Kent School. Just a bit. Sorry, you're a little uh, bit. I worked. You've got the proximity effect. Sorry, mate. <laughs> Sorry. That's better. No, no. Sorry. So I worked in the Duke of Kent School, yeah. uh, which was an RAF school, uh, prep school in Surrey. Does that mean for uh, offspring of RAF yep. people? Yep, so 7 to 13-year-olds. Yep. And I was the junior master there for two terms, lived in a caravan, no running water, one electric bar heater, yeah. February in England, bloody freezing. Presumably you were not an assassin, though, at the same time. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Well, I could tell you that, but I yeah, you wouldn't be able couldn't to possibly come yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, no, I wonder about that actually in terms of where I went eventually because I really enjoyed the teaching side of it right. and also the pastoral care. Sure. You know, a lot of these kids were um, uh, taken away because their parents were on, um, you know, placement or postings all over the world. And it seems extraordinary to me to send um, a seven-year-old yep. to board. Yep. Uh, so they'd all turn up with their little teddy bears and cry themselves to sleep. Yep. I know. And um, <clears throat> and I really enjoyed that side of it and uh, learned a lot from the masters, you know, the, yep. the, the teachers. And I didn't know anything about teaching really, but it didn't matter too much. It's very and, interesting. Um, you know, I wonder about that in terms of how I ended up where I ended up, whether well, it, that played a role. It also loops back to what we were saying about whether you can learn or resilience or you have to go through it. I mean, yeah. infamously, the, the British public, the great British public school system yeah. turned out these sort of emotionless, buttoned up people because well, yeah. one of the reasons was that their, their parents said, right, off you go. We'll, um, we'll see you in another three months. And you got there and you were beaten. And not, I'm not saying this is what happened, obviously, in your school, but, mm. you know, people like Prince Charles at Gordonston infamously yeah. had a terrible it. time yeah. with bullying and all the rest of it. Yeah. More happily, um, and, and, and this shows my remarkable mind um, in terms of the links that I'm going to make. <laughs> where's he going now? Yeah, where's he going now? <laughs> um, well, I'm just, I've just read Eric Idle's autobiography and I, and, and I decided to follow it up with John Cleese's. And I, I've just got to say, John Cleese's is written, apologies, Eric, in my opinion, much better. Right. His skills as a writer. But Eric Idle was a... Um, an orphan, not an orphan. His, his his father was 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 killed on the way back from the Second World War, but he mm. was in the RAF. So he went to one of those schools, okay. and in the post-war years, it was obviously full of children who'd lost a father. Mm. Um, and then John Cleese, in between uh, his school and Cambridge, because the the return servicemen got got a preferential yep. treatment um, treatment to enter Oxbridge. The, the children coming out of the public schools had to wait for a while before they they went in, and and so John Cleese worked as a uh, as a tutor as a teacher, mm. just like you did. Yeah. So a double link with two of the pythons. <laughs> That's probably the only link. <laughs> well, although uh, I've got a bit of uh, John Cleese is a very complex character, I think. Yeah. And I've got a bit of that. There's there's a sadness to John Cleese, I think, yeah. and an anger. Oh yeah. Um, which word. is part of the thing that makes him so funny. So you're saying that you're sad and angry? On occasions. Hmm. And um, I think there's that side to him which 
uh, part of me relates to. Which part? Uh, like, the saddening. Uh, no, yeah, sorry, the saddening. <laughs> part. No, sorry. Let me. Um, which facet of the of 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 his character or characters that he's created that that he's pre- presented to the world you associate? Well, the with? classic is the Basil Fawlty, isn't right. it? Uh, Smashing the car with the branch. Yeah, yeah. And we've uh, to a certain extent we've all got a bit of that in us. But um, I did it last night. Yeah, my, my curry <laughs> spilled in the back of my car, and I was right. standing in Ocean Grove, yelling at the yelling right. at the curry. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it's very cathartic in some ways. Yeah. But, um, uh, you know, for example, I've just stepped down from my role. We talked a bit about me being the head of school, which was great to do. I decided that enough was enough and I'd done two, three-year contracts mm-hmm. and I wasn't going to go around again. So I have two emotions running in parallel. I feel happy and I think we've been able to do some great things and it's been great to be part of that. But I also feel sad at the same time. <laughs> An observation, when we talk, you and I, when we, we have some lovely conversations, I think, I always enjoy our conversations. Um, my observation is that you, like all of us, I suppose, have your game face. Yep. And I mean, I don't, clearly I, I mean this with, I don't mean this as a uh, as an insult. You have the... Uh, well, the 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 educator, the head of school, as you said, as in the dean of the medical mm. school, um, and then you have this other <laughs> fighting to get out the, yeah. the, the 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 music. I'm sure the creative, the who only breaks out occasionally. Right, right, yeah. right, right. And and uh, how do you reconcile? Those? I don't think you can. I think you just have to live with both. Um, and um, uh, I I I think the creative side and the sort of emotional side. I'm more comfortable with now. I'm less angry than I used to be. Hmm. Um, partly, I suppose, because... Why I've, were you angry? Well, when I was, before I became um, got into the university position, I was full-time in clinical medicine. Yeah. I was getting very burnt out. Yeah. And I was angry all the time. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I looked for other opportunities because yeah. I thought I'm, this is no good for me, but more importantly, it's no good for anyone else yeah. if I continue like this. Yeah. And Where did um, you see it heading? Well, I, you know, the classic is the sort of middle-aged cynical physician burnout where you just become less and less productive and less and less good at what you do yeah. and, um, and uh, people stop um, benefiting from what you do. Yeah. And I, I recognise that. And uh, there are some people who manage to do full-time clinical medicine for 30 years and get up every day and see 25 patients and love it. And that's mm. fantastic. Mm. Um, but I'm not that guy. So I have to, I have to change things up. I need constant stimulation. I've yep. got a relentless inquiring mind. Yep. I recognise that in myself. So I still really enjoy seeing patients, and it's fantastic to do that for two or three days a week. Mm. But I really struggled doing it seven days a week. I mean, you say, and we've obviously we're recording this, but you and I have had yep. many conversations around this theme over the years, and you've been kind enough to almost, almost you know. Well, well, certainly offer me guidance, or you know, um, which I appreciate. I think that when you said the classic, um, however you worded it, the classic middle-aged uh, doctor, it might be obvious to us, but it might surprise people that are non-medical yeah. to hear that. Yeah, well, medicine's tough, you it know, tough. and um, I think people would say, "Well, what the hell are you whinging about?" Right. You know, you making good money that's right you it, get it comes to the money doesn't it always the money yeah and i get that you know uh, <clears throat> we've talked before about how lucky we are and we are 
Um, but it's pretty bloody tough as well. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of emotion. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of difficult decisions. Um, there's um, when people become unwell, you see the best of them, but mm -hmm. sometimes you see the worst of them as well. And you're often treating an entire family, so mm -hmm. there's lots of emotion that you have to manage there. And everyone will take a piece of you. You know, patients mm -hmm. will take as much of you as you're prepared to give. And again, the cliche is, oh, you know, that doctor's detached and won't talk to me and I can't get them, you know, after six o'clock in the evening. Mm -hmm. Well, the reason people do that is to try and protect themselves mm -hmm. so they can give enough in the time That's when right. they are at work. That's right. And I talk a lot to our medical students about that and, you know, professional boundaries, patients yep. are not your friends. That's right. Don't give them your phone number. That's Don't right. be their friends mm -hmm. on Facebook. And when we start having those discussions when they're early on in their medical careers, you can see them thinking, oh, I'm going to be different to that. Everyone will be my friend. <laughs> but in order to do your job properly, and, it, and actually in order to do it as well as you can and be the best doctor that you can be, you have to learn about those professional boundaries and you have to learn to protect yourself. Do you use any um, signal stories, any anecdotes from your personal experience? Uh, I was. I remember which was one of the reasons I thought I'm going to have to give this up. Mm. There was a lady, or not give this up, but change it. Mm -hmm. There was a lady who came in who um, had been in and out a lot, um, who was a... Into hospital, in and out hospital. hospital. Yeah. And um, when I was still doing general medicine, mm -hmm. and I got called back to see her, and she'd come in with a headache, and she'd had all sorts of <coughs> medical problems. And I, I think I was having tea with my kids and, mm, you know, mm. I had to come back and I was really angry. Yep. And um, How dare you? <laughs> and I wasn't directly angry with her, yeah. but I was sharper than I should have been uh, in terms of taking the history. And yeah. I thought that there was, you know, it was just another thing and, yeah. you know, it wasn't anything to worry about. Anyway, it turned out she had a brain tumour. Yeah. And we made the diagnosis eventually. Mm. And um, she was treated appropriately and that was all fine. But I was reflecting on it afterwards and I felt, you know, like a, um, like a piece of shit. And I thought, how could you have done that to somebody else mm -hmm. just because you were having tea with your family and it's not her fault and she was sick and she really was sick and mm. you have... And I knew at that stage that I'd developed significant compassion fatigue. Mm. And... Um, and uh, hopefully most of that has gone mm. because I've been able to diversify and take on other challenges. And, and now I wake up, I used to wake up and think, oh, consulting in a list. And now I wake yeah. up and think, oh, consulting in a list. Oh, good. I'm you glad know, to hear because it. Because I only yep. do it one or two days a week. I'm very glad to hear it. I, it might, I don't know if it would surprise. I, I, I think it's unlikely that, a new, a freshly minted doctor could could feel they, they might be able to sort of intellectually understand mm. and 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 imagine what you just described, but yeah. to to feel it emotionally, like I just felt, mm. I know that we've exactly. Been, we've been there. We've all been there. We've all if been you've there. been in medicine long enough, yeah. you've had an equivalent that's experience. Right. That's right. Or several um, of them. Or s several. <laughs> yeah. And we've all looked back and thought, how could I have done that? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess as long as you're still reflecting and you're still emotionally alive enough to reflect and feel bad yeah. about it, yeah. then you can you can resolve that and yeah. resurrect yourself. Yeah. The problem comes for some people when they get to the sort of Skinner's learned helplessness model mm. 
where they've had so many electric shocks they just don't reflect on it anymore and their behavior they go from being you know bright vibrant aware um emotionally intelligent to hard-bitten cynical supposedly uncaring and it's not that they're uncaring it's just a defense mechanism that's right so that's what we have to always guard against that's right and it's and 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 then when we're confronted or we're made aware of our colleagues who especially friends and and people you know who are clearly going through that it it can be terribly hard to know what to do Exactly. exactly terribly hard because often people respond with anger right um and i said before that i was angry all the time and that was, you know, 15 years ago now. Mm. Um, and people say to me, how can, I've never seen you angry. How can, <laughs> how can you be like that? You do that? seem sanguine. Yeah, but I, I am now in the mm. main, but mm. I wasn't then. Mm. And, um, and people, if people try and help you, you do respond with anger. When I started out in that whole, you know, well-being, sustainability, mm. oh, I hate using the J word, but, you know, journey. When I, when I began, before I... Before, the work that you mentioned at Deacon, somebody t- told me, a wise person told me that uh, beware of, um, well, not beware, but um, said that the you'll meet people that are very, physicians that are very hostile towards the whole concept and they're the ones that are, that are, struggling, are struggling the most. And it's true, yeah. I think. I think. Yeah, paradoxically, the people who need it the most are the least likely to yeah. come for help. Yeah, dismissive and things. Mm. Okay. Oh, okay. So we are at a band who I'm hoping that that our uh, um, 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 even our younger listeners in in um, in Cyprus and and uh, and in uh, France and things will have heard of Genesis. But I know you're a true Genesis fan, right? <laughs> Unlike you. Unlike me. I'm a Johnny Come Lately only. <laughs> <laughs> so another prog rock band went through two incarnations. You don't, Genesis. You don't have to. You don't have to keep using the p word. It's okay. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, early on, very complex, dense stuff with Peter Gabriel, who went on to have a fantastic career as a solo artist and still does, um, and then morphed into a highly successful commercial band. And, and both of the eras were good, mm. but I actually preferred the the prog rock era. This is from their second album, Trespass, which was 1970. Did you re- did you revise or did you just remember all the songs you picked? Uh, no, I didn't revise it. I just remember. the mind of this man. <laughs> um, and w- one of the reasons I picked this is it's actually a highly prescient song. It's called The mm. Knife mm. and it's about a terrorist attack. Uh-huh. And we had one of those yesterday, potentially in Sydney. We have them all the time. And um, we've got a terrible situation potentially arising in Hong Kong at the moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of these things happen around us all the time. And these guys wrote this song in 1970. Mm. Um, And uh, the the lyrics are amazing. Tell me my my life is about to begin. Tell me that I'm a hero. Promise me all of your wildest dreams. Light up your body with anger. Now when I give the world its word, it's ready to fight for your freedom. Hmm. Peter Gabriel wrote those lyrics? Yeah. Mm. All right, let's listen to this one. The knife, uh, and it's from Trespass. The album's called Trespass. Trespass. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> 
life is about to begin Tell me that I'm a hero Promise me all of your violent dreams Light up your party with anger Now we'll send the world It's time to destroy this evil Now will I give a word Get ready to fight for your freedom For you know we are right We must strike at the lies That will spread like disease To our minds Soon with our power Every soldier will rest And we spread out our kindness To all who are loved now This love So you are going to die My thoughts are forced to the freedom But I shall provide
Peter Gabriel. Did did you um have interest? Well, did you, well, did you have a a long list before you had your short list of, of yeah? My long list was nine hundred and seventy three songs. Was there any was there any uh, solo Peter Gabriel? Were you into? Uh, yeah, well, um, just a little bit. Sorry, mate, a little bit. Um, well, there are many Peter Gabriel songs that I love. Um, Salisbury Hill is a great mm. song. Beko actually is really beautiful. oh yeah yeah um, yeah I love that. Did you ever see? Sorry, cool. Never, never saw Peter Gabriel live. Yeah, uh, saw Phil Collins live last year, which yeah. was a great experience, and he yeah. did some old Genesis stuff, which was good. And I think, and I, I think we about talked it. about it all while the music was playing. So, it's, as you yeah. said, his son did a great job, and as his well. son behind the drums, age yeah. seventeen, was fantastic. Amazing. And we're talking about how hard it would be to be the son of a famous musician. Jason Bonham's another very good example. Yeah. Um, but he was outstandingly good and really good concert. No, I don't. And as the, I mean, father of a son and a daughter, but I can only yeah. imagine how wonderful it must be for Phil to tour the world yeah. with, with his son. It'd be great. You know. Yeah, and uh, uh, families are the best thing ever. You know, it's so great yeah. to have a family. Um, neither of my children did medicine. Let's, yeah, okay, so um, um, please tell feel free to use this bit now to talk to us about as much as so they um maybe it's because they never wanted to do it maybe it's because they saw me coming home tired and grumpy for 20 years yeah and thought we don't want a piece of that and there's a long tradition as everyone will know of doctors children doing medicine that's true um and i was delighted that they wanted to make their own way so Delighted as in actively happy they did not choose medicine? Oh, no, not actively happy they didn't. If they'd wanted to do medicine, I'd have supported them in it, but I was just happy that they had their own ideas and yeah. had, an, um, had an idea about what they wanted to do and how they wanted to do it. I was talking to my cousin from America who came to stay with us recently, and he was talking about failure to launch, which I thought was a very good term. <laughs> and he was saying, you know, a lot of kids have this failure to launch yeah, now sure. in their late teens and early 20s just because they've got no idea what they want to do right. or where they want to do it. And they sit around in the basement smoking pot all day. and Playing computer games. Playing computer games. Um, and neither of mine, so Ali um, and Jack, have both gone on and made their way, and I'm very proud of them, and it's fantastic. And congratulations on Ali recently becoming yep. engaged. Yes, exactly. Nice yes. one. Yeah, right of passage if, again. If, if you want an East End boy to go around and see the uh, <laughs> the fellow beforehand to lay down the law a little bit, <laughs> give me a nod. <laughs> no, I'm sure he's a lovely man. He's um, a lovely fellow. Well, uh, and what are they? What are they both up to? What's Ali and Jack? Pop so, uh, Ali is now working for um, in audit and risk for a company called Picture Partners mm-hmm. in Melbourne, mm-hmm. who have a really good culture. And she she did a law degree and decided halfway to, through that she didn't want to be a lawyer. Mm. And um, my friend Nick, um, who I love dearly, who's been a surrogate uncle to her, she had a bit of a, a wobble at that point. He said, "Don't mm. worry, John, I'll talk to her." <laughs> and um, oh, nice. got her through her degree, which was great. And she finished it and then got. Um, so she completed her law degree. Yeah. And then decided to go and work for pictures. Yeah. My son did engineering and is now working uh, for as a structural engineer for an um, American company called Jacobs, big oh. multinational, again in the Melbourne office. Great. And, and, and presumably one is happy that, uh, that they're not so very far from home. Yeah, yeah. Although if they'd wanted to go and work in Timbuktu, I'd have said, good luck to you. I just mm. think, I just want them to be happy. And, and the I'm empty nest thing? Um, we've coped all right with that, really. Did you? Um, yeah. Well, I can't speak for Helena, but <laughs> oh, <go on. laughs> it was all right for me. Um, maybe because I wasn't around very much anyway, so yeah. it wasn't very different. But uh, they don't come home much, and I think that's probably a good thing, because if they came home a lot, you'd be worried that they weren't 
living their lives. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing that one into that little locked room at the at the back of my mind at the moment. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I'm aware that you and I both flew around the world. You, you had the, yeah, you had the, um, what's the right word? I, I'm, I'm going to say the, the. The, the the privilege or the um, the happy event of your parents yeah. coming to join you, yeah. um, uh, if they were to if if, if uh, Ellie or Jack were to move to England, would you be tempted to? Uh, I don't think we would move back. I, I wouldn't mind going back and doing a sabbatical somewhere, but yeah. I, th- I think this is where we live now. This is our home. Yeah, you did and, say that. Um, in, in, you did say it's the best place you found your you yeah. Found your place. I think our caravan has come to rest. That's what you said. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, I love going to other places in the world and I'm very lucky to be able to do that. I love yeah. traveling, um, but I always love coming back to Barman Heads. Um, All right. I love a good hypothetical. Okay, here yeah. we go. So I've asked this about cars before, but I know you're not really much of a car man. Yeah. Five places. You've, you've got unlimited funds. Unlimited funds. <laughs> I'm not asking for architectural styles. Yeah. Five places in the world, um, not including where you currently live, you can have houses. Go. Uh, Tuscany. So my friend Nick has a, a villa there where Ali's going to get married. Ah. And he's been incredibly generous and kind. To Do you want someone to come and play a few songs at the wedding? <laughs> I'm, yeah, very, you, I'm cheap. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> if you find your own way there, ah. we'll, we'll pick you up at Monte Polciano Station. I'll get you, mate. Um, what's his name on Guernsey? <laughs> oh, Stretch. Yeah, Stretch will fly yeah, me over. He'll sort it out. Um, uh, so it's a beautiful place. That's my second favourite place in the world, and our, Nick's always very generous and lets us go there, and oh. we love going there. Yeah, it's between Montalcino and Montepulciano. Um, Bowen Heads is the other one. No, you're not allowed that. I actually don't think I want to build a house anywhere else. Oh come on! Well, I don't. All right, you don't um, have to, but I'll, I'll live in it. <laughs> <laughs> Where else do I like? Um, I love London. Yeah, you whereabouts know. in London? Uh, oh, um, Centre. Like city of yeah Mayfair, oh that's right okay West yeah. End yeah Mayfair. West End, um, different to you you see you'd be on Mile End Road <laughs> they don't let me into Brick, Mayfair Brick Lane <laughs> <laughs> I get asked me I get asked me uh, bona fides yeah, if exactly. I wonder I'm sorry sir <laughs> <laughs> thank, sorry thank you for coming thank you can so you say much. can you say Hammersmith Hackney yes. and Hampstead please thank you so much for your interest in this house <laughs> <laughs> I think I think our partner organisation down the road would be of more interest I think you'll find you're supposed to be east of <laughs> All gate east. Yeah, go on. Oh, so, no. so you've got London, you've got Tuscany, and um, you've got, got three more heads, yet. Bowen Heads. I, I keep <laughs> subverting. I don't, live, I don't want to live anywhere. That's else. not the point. It's a hypothetical. <laughs> I'm not very good at this, am I? No. Where else would I like to live? I found uh, your soft underbelly. I'd have a house in Melbourne. That's Probably. yeah. That's a bit. All right. Okay. Go on in. I'll well, it'd be nice one. for weekends. Okay. Parkville. Where about Parkville? Okay. Yeah. Um, where else? Have Lovely I cemetery. Now? Lovely yeah. cemetery. Yeah. Oh, I'd, I'd probably... have you seen? By the way, sorry, have you seen the Elvis Memorial in 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 that cemetery in the Melbourne Cemetery? No, there's a grotto. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, That's a bit random. It is very random. Someone's mm. built a sort of cave okay. as a kind of memorial to Elvis. I, it's right by a. It's one of the. It's by one of the big. Um, what do you call those? Uh, the big places where lots of Italian people always get put. Okay. The you know the bigger building within the cemetery. Um, got sarcophagus mausoleum yeah yeah right mm. by the maus- mausoleum there's a it's crazy tell you a funny story about that cemetery Go on, um so my son um this is like your worst exam dream ever oh. 
my son Jack, and you know, we laugh about it now, but we didn't laugh at the time. <laughs> so, um, night before his exams, he always likes to go on to flight mode on his phone. Yeah. Because then he doesn't get texts sure. and random stuff. So anyway, morning of his exam, his girlfriend Georgie goes to work and she's messaging him and saying, you know, or goes off to college and says, you know, ready for exam. He said he woke up feeling very rested, looked oh, no. at the clock, oh, 20 past eight. Boy. Exam starts half past eight. So he's 20 minutes away from the examination halls in Carlton. So he thinks, Fah! and uh, runs down the stairs, doesn't get dressed, doesn't even put his shoes on, pajamas, T-shirt, gets into the car goes down Sydney Road, Bang. has a car accident. Oh, no. <laughs> I told you it was your worst exam dream ever. So he's rushing so much to get there, he goes into the back of another car. And it was a four-wheel drive, and I think he went into the um, you know, the trailer bar, and he said he got out the car and said, really sorry, late for my exam, do anything you like, here's my... Have my car. <laughs> here's my licence, <laughs> got to go. And the guy was really nice and said, off you go. So he gets there, so he parks by the cemetery. Yeah. And by now it's 25 to 9, exam starts at half past 8, sprints across the cemetery in his bare feet, and they have half an hour of reading time, so the doors don't close until 9. Right. Gets in at about three minutes to nine Good in his pajamas. <laughs> in his pajamas. So he does sit the exam in his pajamas. So I, so he's telling me this story that night, and I was nearly fecally incontinent in the kitchen. I thought, Jesus God almighty. And he did it, uh, presumably aced it as well. I said, how'd it go? He said, oh, I thought it went rather well. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, other places Impressive. I'd like to live. Um, where else do I love? So you've got... Uh, I'd live in Sri Lanka. Okay. We had a fantastic time in Sri Lanka just before the bombs. That's we were over there, mm. and they are beautiful people. Yeah. And Colombo is a great place to live. Actually, I'd live in the highlands mm. where the tea plantations are. Mm. So we're so. fostering, not we, um, especially Anna Davis, um, mm. if she's listening to this, uh, spent a sabbatical yeah, um, I remember helping that, yeah. to set up the emergency mm. And we've got two lovely fellas uh, working with us at the moment. And, yeah. and the, the hope is, my, my plan... But the hope is that we don't just, uh, you know, that, as I say, it's not about the charitable donation. I'm hoping the medical staff group mm. potentially sets up a um, a, a yearly. It's because it doesn't not, not very much money in the grand no. scheme of things to to encourage to help them with their emergency medicine training, which yep. is nascent over there. Um, so, They're lovely people, yeah. and we had a fantastic time. We were there about two weeks before the bombs, which yeah, was right. a catastrophe. Gosh, yeah, tragedy right. for them. It wasn't long ago, was it? No. So we were there in um, March. Yeah. So, so okay, sorry. Is that my five? No. Nope. And Bion Heads, again, is not one of them. So you've got Tuscany, you've got Melbourne, which is ridiculous. You've got London, specifically Mayfair. Sri Lanka. You've got Sri Lanka. You've got one more. Uh, where else would I live? Somewhere in America? You like America, don't you? I wouldn't live there. Hmm. I wouldn't have a house there. Actually, I, I'd, I'd have a house in Vancouver. Hmm. So I've only been there once for a conference, but that's a very livable place. And I really like the people there. Yeah. I did my medical elective in Canada, but over on the other side in oh, yeah. uh, Newfoundland and Labrador. Yeah. And came through uh, Toronto and Niagara on the way back. Yeah. Um, but Vancouver's a lovely place. Yeah. Good. Okay. There you go. You got there. That wasn't too... <laughs> I'll take off the rubber gloves now. That wasn't too, <laughs> that wasn't too painful, was it? Would you rather lose an arm or a leg? <laughs> I love those hypotheticals. Uh, oh, okay, okay. All right, well, so the question is not why you picked Led Zeppelin, but why you picked Kashmir. Um, well, I think Kashmir is a fantastic song. It sums up Led Zeppelin. It's just that driving guitar 
drums, bass, which mm. they were so good at. Mm. I mean, one of the greatest bands ever, of course. Yes. And then the Robert Plant wail that comes in over the top. Yeah. And nobody can sing like Robert Plant. Mm. Lots of people have tried to and not been successful. Um, and um, I used to play it in the car a lot uh, yeah. to get psyched up for various oh, things. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. always enjoyed doing yeah. that. That do do do. So I, you know, I play a lot of Led Zeppelin. Still do great band. Um, I've tried listening to modern music; doesn't work for me. <laughs> <laughs> not a fan uh, of Kendrick Lamar. So uh, much well, you know, anything that was written after about 1978 is probably not worth <laughs> listening to, uh, except for Stephen Wilson, of course. Of course um, yeah. But uh, so I had to have Led Zeppelin, and this yep. is this is the track, and and it's the. I think this was Jimmy Page's intention. It's the musical equivalent, and I've forgotten the name of the guy, but of that never-ending staircase, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, cash me it. <laughs>
we've I think we've made clear that there was a, a, a crossroads or a fork in the road that you reached 15 or so years ago mm. and 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 the toll that's exacted by medicine you know it's almost faustian isn't it really you know yep. The, the, yep. The, the, this medicine career thing that we do but how we choose how we actively uh, relax and um I, I, I mean i think i'm sure you'll say what you said but can you remember what you said in terms of how you things that keep me sane is how you family obviously being one of them things that keep me sane yeah. are well helena um <laughs> so um talking of my wife <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i've just um i suppose it's the classic love story but i have just always loved her and um i've been so so blessed to be able to have her supporting me so we met um when i was going out with her sister which um, is an unusual well, preamble to, yes. no no <laughs> i knew this was coming because i remember yeah, this. yeah yeah uh, and uh so not the classic uh, start to a love story so she helena's two years older than me and her sister pam who i'm now very good friends with <clears throat> because a lot of water's flowed under a lot of bridges yeah, sure, since then. Sure. Um, we were in the same year together at college. And I dropped Pam off at Helena's place in Bath, because Helena was, I was 19, she was 21, she was living with another guy mm. in a, one of those beautiful Georgian terrace oh, apartments yeah. in mm. Bath. Mm. I remember thinking how sophisticated she was. Yeah. And you know that scene in Love Actually, yeah. when Hugh Grant goes into number 10? Yeah. And he meets Melanie. Yeah, yeah. The, when they're lined up, yeah, in the, and, he, uh, and he sees her, and yeah. he, and he goes, take kind of thing. and he goes into his office, and he yeah, goes, yeah. "Oh no!" That yeah, that's is, right. Yeah, yeah, that that's is right. So inconvenient. That's a love. Isn't that just beautifully observed <laughs> and written? Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. He's banging like, his head on the wall. That's right. I had exactly the same feeling. Mm. I walked in. I saw Helena. I can still remember what she looked like that day and yeah. what she was wearing. Yeah. And I thought, "Oh no, this is going to be complex." That's it. Yeah. And that was it. And um, so um, we didn't start a relationship then. She went off and married a Turk, as you do. <laughs> uh, you I weren't did. expecting that one, were you? <laughs> that's, 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 I'm pretty sure we didn't. And I love special extra marks for saying it like a 19th century Victorian gentleman. <laughs> went off and married a Turk. And <laughs> Yeah, well, that I came uh, back. That's the short version, and um, Ooh, so a Did number, a kebab of, shop? A number <laughs> of things happened over the five or six years, and she was um, overseas for a while. And, sure, but we always kept in touch. And, and, and all, sorry, but, um, Pat, yourself and Pam, how long did that? Did oh, that it go was for? pretty much gone by the time, by the time I, by the time sort of, you know, it was fizzling. She out. went off to, to Turkey or whatever. Oh no, before that, oh. before that. Mm. So and Pam. Um, uh, subsequently married Tim, lovely fellow, and I was uh, gave her away at the wedding, which was a great ah, privilege. So that was lovely. Nice. Um, so I was kept in touch with Hells through our various trials and tribulations, and um, see pals, pals first. Kept yeah, friendships. yeah. But I always hoped, and I never thought. And then we mad- gradually got back together. There was. Um, uh, there was another very rocky start, yeah. Because uh, we went both went to the same party, and I thought things were going very well. And then yeah. she copped off with one of my mates, so I was oh. very cross about that. Um, and then Pam actually got us back together because I was very Boy. cross and went home and uh, 
so it's very well. T- talk about very needing to <laughs> needing to pass through the fire. To, <laughs> no, every, no. every everyone needs to have one of those. Oh don't yeah, they? yeah, exactly. Have the heart broken. But it was meant to be. Yeah, and um, and uh, so we got together uh, in 1988. Then we got married in 1991. Mm. And um, so, you, so you're in, in in 88. Where are you in your career? I was still at medical school in Oxford, so yeah. I was doing my clinicals. In your clinical part, so yeah. the, so just to be clear for everyone else, it's, there's 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 a preclinical part to medicine, and then there's yeah. So I did three clinical. years at Cambridge, and then mm-hmm. three years at Oxford. And uh, Hells and I got together halfway through the Oxford yep. time. And um, uh, how? Why? When? Well, we met at this party when she. Well, we sort of were on and off, and met again at this party, and then she. Um, uh, it didn't work out then, but then Pam got us together the following day. Do Ali and Jack know the whole? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Do they, are they are they interested? Do they ask? Yeah, they always think it's funny. I think. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I mean, we're just mum and dad, so they sure. think it's like it's like a story from a different era. You know, it's like yeah. you can't believe your parents would have done those things. Yeah. My eleven-year-old last night—it's not about me. My eleven-year-old asked me when I lost my virginity, <laughs> and said, "Mum told me when she lost hers." How, how did that conversation go? <laughs> I became quite English all of a sudden. <laughs> I don't, I'm not, as you know, a typical English gentleman, no. but I became very English. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, I'd have bought tickets for that one. <laughs> yeah, it's not about me, but, but yeah. So yeah, so, so she's kept the John Watson show on the road ever since. And, yeah, um, steered you in the right oh, direction and all yeah, that. And been very understanding yeah. with all of my, my failings and my quirks and, um, oh, and gets, and gets very. Me. You're being very, you're being very, no, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure if she was sitting here, she'd Well, I was talking about all of these, you know, uh, career pathways sure. and um, the things that I like doing and the things that I struggled with. And yeah. to a certain extent, I'm at another one now. So I've just stepped yeah. down from, yeah. the, from the head of school job and I'm deciding what I'm going to do next, which is very nice in some ways. Yeah. But well, quite challenging. You know, the easy thing would have been to stay in the job. I mean, I, I, I was hopeful this morning before you came round, that I mean we've already covered a lot and I'm and I th- I've, I've really enjoyed listening to it but but if we frame it in the two or three years that have passed since we tried mm. this the first time yeah I mean that that that's life isn't it I mean that's who knew who knew what was about to happen you know yeah. we've already spoken your father your father died yeah um I I, th- I don't think we need to Unless you want to talk about, you know, Hell's had an accident. Hell's had a very bad car accident. Um, <clears throat> so I had the call nobody ever wants to have. I was at work. Hello, jo- hello, uh, Professor Watson. It's the Ocean Grove Police. I'm calling about your wife. God damn. I know. Uh, so luckily it was a bad accident, but she's fine and that's great. But again, it it helps you to understand what's important in life. Yeah, yeah. And And now... For whatever, well, not for whatever reason, but do it, you know, whether it's a confluence of events or a time of life or just the right time, you find yourself at another one of these, yeah, these sort of forks in the road. And where's your head at with all that? All well, of that? I don't know, to be honest. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do. So it's sort of self inflicted, really, because yeah. as I say, the, the easy thing would have been to continue. I'd sure. done it for six years. Hopefully, Deakin would have signed me up for another three and I could yeah. have kept going, but I just didn't feel that was the right thing to do in terms of where the university was at and where I was at. Yeah. I think um, leadership positions have a lifespan. Yeah. And the trick is realising that. Not everyone does. Mm. 
Um, so you have to go at the right time. Yeah. But it means that I'm entering another period of uncertainty. Um, but the certainty is with Helena and with my family. And, yeah. And, um, uh, you know, I do have opportunities, so that's nice. Yeah. And it's how, it's how you choose to frame it, isn't it? I mean, it's exciting and it's a ch- and, and, and it's not boring. It's, in, you know, yeah. and, and, and again, we're very lucky, you know, the choice is not do I do I buy the kids shoes or, or food yeah. this week, you know, yeah. or whatever it is. Um, you know, that, 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 that kind of, uh, we, we touched on it with, with the Rolling Stones earlier on, you know, and, mm. and when some people refuse to live in the past, but then you, and, and this is hopefully, as, as we said, you and I are going to live to 115 and go out with orgasms, not together and, and in the same they room. Said but, to, um, they said to Bill Bryson, what do you want on your grave? Have you heard this? Uh, no. And he said, he thought for a while and he said, uh, I'd like on my gravestone it to be written, still sexually active at 96. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So anyway, so um, meandering around to my point um, that it's for people, and, and now I'm talking about the Rolling Stones, for people that um, expressed, especially Mick Jagger, a desire to never live in the past, how they approach you know their 70s and their 80s and their 90s when when self-evidently there's there's more of the past than there is of the future and that's partly what a midlife crisis is right it's that thing Mm. but i would hazard a guess that you're approaching this fork in the road with a this is an adventure this is not it is this is not the end of things this is the beginning of things no i've been thinking about lots of things i might want to do yeah i'm interested in poo transplants yeah fecal transplantation so let's talk about microbes, John. No, let's not. Let's, <laughs> I know what you're talking about, but yeah. yeah. But yeah, well, okay. No, but let's so leave it aside. A, a researchy type thing, but I'm also interested in education. I'm interested in philanthropy. Yes. I'm really supportive of um, trying to make your mark by helping other people. So yeah. there's a fantastic medical student um, project that you all have heard of called the Global Village Project, yeah. which goes to a, an orphanage in India each year. Yeah. So it's very much not volunteerism and our deacon medical students have set it up and they run it so it's yeah. very much their their show yeah and the school has supported it and i've been a big fan of it but i think things like that are so important in terms of making your mark and trying to do some good in the world i think like not understanding the extraordinary pressures that one experiences as a consultant with some miles on the clock mm. the, the the real meaning of what when we say it's a privilege to be a doctor, I think that's the that's the positive flip, right? Yeah. That that yep. you know, I I, I mean, I, I'm I'm setting you up, but I know I know that you feel privileged in 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 what you've been able to achieve with your mm. your your clinical work and and also at the university as well. Yep. It sounds to me very much like you're um you're you're framing your future adventures challenges still largely within the world of academia and within medicine that's it's not like you're going to go okay i'm going to go off and you know focus on music as, no as the thing. Uh, no i think i think you're right i don't think i'm going to be running a second-hand bookshop in the yorkshire dales anytime mm. soon and those things are attractive but you if you're going to give back and you're going to make a contribution you have to do it within your skill set right and there is this concept of the ten thousand hours doing something mm. so i can do it mm-hmm. you know i know i can do it the question is how I can add value while still looking after my family and doing the things that I need to do. Yeah, well, Gladwell said the 10,000 thing, didn't he? I've heard somebody said, 
Imagine uh, some podcast I was listening to. I think it was maybe might have been Roger Pemos was being interviewed. You know, the mathematician, the emeritus mm. professor. It might have been him saying it. Maybe it was interviewed, but it, but they said actually it's probably more like thirty thousand hours. Yeah, you know, and and I, I sort of went yeah right on. You know, mm. if you if you think about, you know, if you do the maths, yeah, ten thousand hours sounds good, and, and Gladwell became very famous for having said it, and it's catchy and punchy and all that. But it's probably a bit more than that, isn't it? Yeah. You know? So you can change direction. I'm 54 now. You can change direction in your 50s, and lots of mm. people do. Yeah. But uh, you can also have a different career within the direction that you've already been That's heading, right. which right. is what I'm thinking about. Yeah. And I'm sure you will be incredibly successful. Well, I hope so. Yeah. All right. Talking of your your uh, your grave song, or your talking of death. Your, your talking of your funeral <laughs> song, talking of death. <laughs> your words, not mine. Yep. Just to say, uh, this is not me being cruel for once. Um, I believe you referred to this song as the one you would like played at your funeral. Yeah, so it's a, it's a less well-known song by Paul McCartney, who is another genius, and that, that word's <laughs> been used liberally today, but I think is mm. true in the in the people that we've talked about today. Yeah. Um, so this is from one of his later solo albums. Um, and I just think, I mean, Paul McCartney crafts beautiful little songs. Mm. They're not little in terms of the ability that goes into it but little in terms of yesterday being, was a beautiful little yeah, song right? two and a half three minutes long mm-hmm. and this is another beautifully crafted song mm. about what happens when he dies and what he wants Good and um, and he talks about uh, children in the song and um you know he, he wants songs to be sung and bells to be rung and um and i just thought it was a beautiful encapsulation of of hopefully We've talked about legacy today, but yeah. hopefully people remembering you in the right way for yeah. doing some good. Before I press play, have you uh, spoken to your wife and kids about this no, is I the song actually. I want? No, I should do. Well, no, now they've got yeah. the podcast. To yeah, well, to. they can. I'll just say listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the end, it's the start of much better place And this wasn't bad So a much better place Would have to be special No need to be sad On the day that I die I'd like jokes to be told And stories of old To be rolled out like carpets The children have played on And laid on while listening To stories of old At the end of the end It's the start of a journey To a much better place And a much better place have to be special No reason to cry On the day that I die, 
I'd like bells to be rung and songs that were sung to be hung out like blankets the lovers have played on and laid on while listening to songs that were sung at the end of the end it's the start of a journey to a much better place and a much better place would have to be special We're talking about very, what I think are profound things here, which is friendship. Friendship. I was just going to say, I think if you think about networks of friends, we all have different networks. Yes. Um, but we all actually only need a relatively small number of people that we properly connect to. Mm-hmm. And as I get older, my friendship group um, is contracting. Mm. Uh, and that's not deliberate, and I'm very happy to meet people and mm. talk to them. But people who I would genuinely rely on and talk to at a deep level uh, is a relatively small number. Yeah. And I'm I'm very happy with that because actually – Five or six true friends is better than 500 people who mm-hmm. are not your friend. How often do you speak to those? Very, uh, very close quite friends? a lot, actually. Yeah. Uh, so I had a really good chat with my mate Nick the other night. Um, I had some good conversations with some other people recently. Obviously, because of I'm at a fork in the road, yeah. that's one of the reasons mm-hmm. I've been having these discussions. Seeking counsel and things. Yeah, and uh, just people whose opinions I yeah. value, mm-hmm. who don't have skin in the game. Yep. Um, and most of my friends, my really good friends, are actually outside my professional environment, yeah. which I think is also hopefully a good thing. What what sort of forum? I mean, obviously, some I'm, I'm imagining some of these are phone calls or WhatsApp or Skype or whatever. Yeah, else, but... phone calls, face to face. You know, meeting for a drink, mm. meeting mm. over dinner. Mm. Um, and Helena knows all of these people, and she and I have no secrets. So mm. often she's very involved in those discussions as well. Yeah, yeah. And saying, you know, what John meant to say was, <laughs> and actually when he said that, he really meant this. Sure, she's as soon as you're sort of cipher. <laughs> <laughs> I apologise for my husband. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That, that's familiar. Um, yeah, I mean, and what John and I were talking about, what I, I suppose what I was talking about really was 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 this was inside the heliosphere and and why. Um, yeah, skin in the game. I, I always have to be careful now not to sound like I'm trying to self-ground us here because it's not about that at all. But what I'm grateful for, privileged for, is, is is I always come out of these interviews, if you want to call them that, mm. as like you said upstairs, it's given me a break from my head for a minute which yep. is, or for three hours or whatever, which is brilliant, to... A, a deeper connection, just just a sense. And, and the reason I mentioned Leon, um, I don't think I got to the point where, I, yeah, well, I was disappointed because a, a very good friend of mine just came out from England and I really wanted to interview him, not because I, sus- I, I thought I'd learn an awful lot because I know him very well, but I, I just feel that it's it's such a rare thing to be able to really, to ask people you care about, mm these very profound questions or very silly questions, you know, hypotheticals yep. or whatever else. Um, 
and pay fierce attention to what what they're what they're saying and give and, and also to give people a chance to tell their story mm. and, and and never mind the the song you want played at your funeral but i hope that your children listen to this i hope that hells listens to this mm. i'm sure she will mm. you know and i'm sure they won't learn much that they didn't know already but they might be entertained by some things I hope so. and what you've said mm. you know and 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 i think it's very important as well to hear people express the love they have for their for their friends and their family and it's, it's quite daunting in some ways to come into this even though you're a, a really good friend and we know each other this is different to sitting down and having a chat so it is. this is a formal structured yeah. situation yeah with a microphone in my face and head, <laughs> headphones on and i'm telling yeah. you about my innermost thoughts and secrets yeah. Yeah. and i yeah. um, putting it out there yep. and that's fine i'm happy to do that um yeah. But you do need to. Um, There's a trust thing, isn't there? Prepare yourself for that. Yeah. Well, did you? Did you? Did you? Yeah, feel... I did. I was thinking about it. Uh, yeah. I've been thinking about it for um, uh, a while now. Yeah. Because because you are. I mean, you're you're trusting. I mean, you know, we said upstairs. Is there anything you want? I said upstairs. Is there anything you want to steer clear of? And you said no. Mm. But but still, yeah. You're. you're um, I'm very. I'm acutely aware that that my friends and and people actually that I've barely met before. There's been a few of those, but I'm asking people to mm. put tell the story. Yeah. yeah. To put themselves out there. Mm. I, I hope that the whole thing is, is, is clearly you know, the, the, the reason for it is obvious. It's, it's, um, it's to allow people to tell their stories. Yeah. You know, cause I think we spoke about the impermanence of things. Mm. Uh, and people are interesting. People are interesting, right? You everyone's know, got a story. Everyone's got a story. That's right. And you just have to find it. That's right. Yeah. And you, I always learn from people. Yeah. You know, I've learned from talking to you today. Oh. Um, I've learned never to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I learn lots of things and I'm really interested in people and I love meeting people. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so... You said it before, you've got the... What did you say? You, uh, not the curious mind, you've got a... Uh, a relentless inquiry. Yeah, yeah, relent yeah, yep, yep, yep. There you go. Yeah, and I'm really interested. <clears throat> what pushes my buttons is finding out about people That's and, right. and learning and getting to know them and finding out what makes them tick yeah, because sure. everyone's got different drivers. Yeah, that's right. And I think you can learn things from everyone. Everybody, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I just realised I didn't turn on the little spaceman. Hold on. Oh, well, that makes it all different. We'll have to start again. Start now. again, yeah. <laughs> just remember to turn on my little spaceman light. Okay, so I think we've... We've 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 pictured well sorry no we've we've covered your uh, seven songs yep uh, for the record which of those seven would you choose out of above all else <clears throat> and remember you've got the albums as well onward yeah you're 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 very consistent that was what you picked was it yeah oh, I didn't even remember that yeah it was because of your yeah. love your love yeah. for hells it's your yeah. love song to your wife um the uh, you're, you're gonna have the Bible. You're gonna. Uh, we, we, you, you did mention your film in passing, and uh, the big chill, and yeah, and I was actually. I think you explained why, but again, mm. just just why why it's your. Oh favorite. well, like, I guess it goes back to what I was saying about before. It's a film about friendship, mm -hmm. and um, and about rediscovering what you've done, and um, people going in different directions, and hopes and dreams, and yeah. uh, forks in the road, and death, and life, and laughter. Has it become? Has the meaning of the film changed over over the years? Uh, well, yeah, exactly. So um, I always think about Roger when I watch it, um, yeah. but I always think about other people as well and other friends. And um, 
you know, nothing's ever come close to me. It's just my favourite film. Yeah, that's great. Um, do you remember which book you picked? No, I can't remember which book I picked now. Uh, um, just was, remind me. Well, you picked very, very, very cleverly. I, I expect a smart man like you to do this because you're in space. You've got a plenty of time, so you've yeah. picked a, a massive. <laughs> you've picked the June, the June, June oh, trilogy. The June trilogy. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Now that's uh, <laughs> that's always a good thing to reread if you've got ten thousand years. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but when you finish it, it'll be like the Sydney Harbour Bridge, right? Oh, yeah, you exactly. start again. Well, it's a sort of sweeping, sprawling epic, and yeah. uh, I do love that book. Uh, yeah. In fact, I should reread it again now. Now you've mentioned it, so I'll yeah, I'll be with all this spare time that you've got. Yeah, my spare time. <laughs> Yeah, somebody else uh, picked um, Umberto Eco. One of them. Oh, oh yeah, the name of the rose. Yeah, yeah, I think one of the other ones. But you know, it's or, or you know, and somebody else I think picked Tolstoy or something. And it, and mm. it's like you know, you're on the spaceship, so everyone's picking these difficult. Well, not everyone, but some yeah. people are picking these. Well, you don't want a novella. Do you? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh well, dear. that's the first half I've done. <laughs> what do I do for the rest of time? <laughs> oh, good lord. Yeah, I, I usually say. I mean, it's it's kind of. It's not an original question. I like this concept really isn't original. I've been inspired, obviously, by this radio program that's been going for years that shall not speak its name. Um, but how are you going to go on this space station on its on your own? Uh, look, I, I think I'd be sad and I <laughs> think mm. I'd miss family and friends. Mm. But I think I would try and put myself to good use. Yeah. And what I would do is try and find a way back home. Mm. So I'd spend my the rest of my life working out a way to get back from the heliosphere I softened, I should say, I softened on this. I, I found it too, over, even for me, I found it too overwhelmingly yeah. bleak and I said there's a rescue ship on the way. Oh, okay. So as opposed to no so I'd hope. Be, I'd send out messages to the rescue ship. Yeah, you've got ship, like, you probably only got a couple of years. Now, yeah, so. and I'd write the definitive solo album Oh, um, that I've never been able to do. You've got to um, go back and go to Stephen Wilson. <laughs> you think you're smart, I'd go all Stephen Wilson. <laughs> then I'd write my novel, yeah. like you are, yeah. and... Uh, then by then the ship would the ship's up. there, yeah. yeah. With 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 your wife and children, with my wife and children there, yeah. Um, there was uh, did we do this luxury item? Oh yeah, no, we done. We did not do the luxury item. Do you remember what that was? Nope. It was alcohol. It was whiskey. I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Car, c- crates of the stuff. I <laughs> well, that would make the two years fast. There you go. No, I don't mind a whiskey in the evening. Good. And uh, I've actually I've been drinking French whiskey recently, oh. uh, which is very nice. Okay. Not brandy. Uh, no, so it's a French company that make whiskey. Okay, so they're muscling in on the whole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll That's for another. <laughs> we day. both thought the same thing then. Um, uh, I think we, uh, there's 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 your saying. I love this saying. Do you remember? Do you remember which one it was? No, you're testing me again. Mary, Mary Astor to uh, Churchill. Oh, <laughs> this was the uh, sir. If you, um, well, uh, no, hang on. If you uh, were my husband. If you if you were my husband, I'd put poison in your drink, madam. If you were my wife, I'd drink it. <laughs> <laughs> That's when politics was was run by real people. Right, right, uh, right. That seems like a kind of a suitably positive. There was another great one between Astor and Churchill. He oh, said yeah. um, he, he, uh, Churchill used to have two bottles of champagne at lunchtime That's and right. then a brand bottle of brandy in the evening. And Is that true? Though? He stood up in the house, uh, so he's a functioning alcoholic, really, yeah. and functioned very well. Yeah. And he stood up in the house and Mary Astor stood up and said, Sir, I think I think you're drunk. I think you should desist. He said, Madam, I may still be drunk. I may be drunk, but in the morning I'll be sober and you'll still be ugly. <laughs> is that him that said that? Yeah. I've, heard, I've heard that yeah, quote. Is that, is that, was so. that Churchill? Uh, uh, that's an apocryphal quote. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, good on him. But uh, again, I think, you know, lighthearted banter in the House yeah. of Commons. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, she was a fantastic, uh, Mary Estelle was a fantastic politician. Formidable. Um, there's that wonderful thing about, uh, I mean, who's it, who does it come from? But it's that, it's that thing about, I think it's probably a Zen concept, isn't it? Taking, uh, taking serious things lightly and taking yep. light things very seriously or, you know, mm. whatever. There's, there's lots of ways of expressing it. But yep. I, think, I think that's wonderful. I'm sure Churchill had that in spades, didn't he? Yeah. Well, he had to have done, you know, he was the right man for the right time. Yeah. Are we going to leave it with Churchill? Or? I think there's worse people to leave it with. <laughs> well, let me um, egocentrically express my gratitude again, John well, Watson, Professor John Watson. Thank you, Chris. And I um, think you're the first professor that's been oh, cast out on my uh, well, distant spaceship. Yeah, well, thank you for asking me. Oh. It's um, great to be asked and great pleasure. Oh, no. It's, it's always good to spend time. And, I, and again, I really appreciate it. And, and I, I, I hope that you're, you know, your love for your family and your friends has shone through. You're a good man and I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, John. Thanks, Chris.